Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date, Star Trek's edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. This is chapter 46. Week 46. Mm. I I uh, have my Gay for Garrick mug right here. It's nice. full of hot tea. That's good. That's good. Are you are you getting any of that fall sickness? or? I've been okay so far, but my throat is always dog shit after doing this for three hours. So just anything to help. That makes sense. It is week 46. Okay. Uh... Two of our, wait, is it is it two of our five projects are on their third season? I think that's correct. Yeah, DS9 moved into the uh, third season this week, and Voyager was already there because of their aborted first season. Yeah. And uh, we're not far from the others uh, kicking over, so we're really moving along at a, I mean, just an abysmally slow clip, frankly. it's Yep, very, very slow. It's um, impossible. Because this is... Some of these are getting into the third season. These episodes are going to be really good this week, right? Like, the quality's... The quality's improved. Well, well, we'll see. You'll I mean, find last week, out. Last week was not a good week. No. On the whole. Last week was uh, three three points average down from the week before. So there's room for improvement to go. Um, You know the way we do this? We watch it in uh, fifth to first order from last week. Yeah. Last week, fifth place was Voyager. This week's Voyager episode is False Prophets. My voice is also trash after working all day, and I was about to join in, and then at the yes. last second I went, I'm not going to be able to adjust to that pitch that quickly. <laughs> Nothing's going to come out. I'll just make no it, noise. It's extremely... That's not That's not the best Midnight Oil album. It's a good one. <laughs> and that's not the best... <laughs> and it's not the best song on the album, but boy, I don't know how you can resist that when that's playing in your car and you're all alone. It's, um... Well, we're going to do it. You know what? One day we'll do a Midnight Oil breakdown episode. It's going to be so long. We'll do so, so long. several episodes of Midnight, yeah. Midnight, Oil, Midnight Oil Project. All right. <clears throat> Voyagers, uh, they detected that a wormhole had recently opened uh, through their science instruments. And they're like, hey, wormholes, that's how you get home. Let's look into this one. So, like, they figure out, oh, the entrance, uh, it opened here recently, but it's moving all around the dang quadrant. So, like, this is going to be a tricky one to nail down. Um, but guess what else they detected, bro? What What is it, buddy? They detected that somebody been using a dang old replicator on the surface of this planet nearby. Yeah, and as we know, the Kazon don't have replicators, and so no one else here must have them. So it's got to be Alpha Quadrant technology. I have all of the exact same notes. That Tuvok immediately jumps to the conclusion that uh, it could only be the Alpha Quadrant. And I just wondered if there was something he detected on his science instruments that 
that made this replicator feel very Alpha Quadranty. But well, this is a show that is not shy about saying science nonsense. Yes. So you'd think if he had seen that the prongatrons are exactly like the the prongatrons in the Alpha Quadrant, mm-hmm. and therefore this probably an Alpha Quadrant replicator, yeah. he would have said it. I just but you instead. Know- didn't those skeezy European aliens have replicators? They had everything else. I mean, I don't know. All right, I'm just saying. It's... I don't know what their... I don't remember what their deal was. I just remember it was gross. You remember the guy was like, and, I, and I'd really like to sex you. And, and also give us your stories we want for treason. Your stories make me penisy. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, that was when the show had just gone off the rails. Remember how in the first few episodes of Voyager, we were like, we say too bad. We were weirdly encouraged. We were like, oh, okay. Okay, then. I like that. All right. Janeway's going to make some hard choices, and it's going to be a nah. No. (laughs) One day we were just at Twisted, and that was that. Now Um, I'm playing Midnight Oil's Profiteers, because Voyager is the worst episode for three weeks in a row. Yeah. Uh, so now they gotta do uh, a real rush job on, uh, investigating the, the society on this planet so that they can go and infiltrate them. Luckily, it's one of the many, many, many aliens that look just like humans. Yeah. So they don't have to do much, just wear some very generic looking clothing. Yeah, by the way, uh, it looks exactly like normal Federation casual clothing, but with worse shoes. <laughs> That's right. That was very easy for them. They literally just reached into their own wardrobes and then Chicote's, went down. They got the probe images back, and Chicote's like, I got that. I, I mean, I have that shirt. That guy's so. got my shirt. I mean, does he look- I think it looks better on me, but uh, <laughs> I've got that shirt. I was going to say, he's saying to Tom Paris, does that guy look better than me in that shirt? Because I've, mm. I've been working out. I think it looked pretty hey, Tom, good. Tom, who? Who wore it better? Don't ask Tuvok. He'll tell you that guy did. Tuvok's my enemy. <laughs> That's right. Arch enemies. I don't know if we talked about it before, but it, we are arch enemies. Uh, anyway, so they do infiltrate this planet. They beam down there, Tom Paris and Chakotay. Um, and so they're trying to find this replicator and some... Uh, they run into a very money-grubbing... I almost said Jewish, but that's because that's what the writers are doing. Well... The writers are borrowing that from the next generation. Yeah. Uh, they run into some people who are just selling everything um, uh, out on the street. A bard who sells verses to his dumb poems. And uh, a dude who sells uh, crazy old ear jewelry that look like ears. And you need to have them if you want to go into the great temple. Yep. So. I mean, they kind of look like weird spirals. I mean, who has ears like that? Yeah. <clears throat> who indeed. Who has ears that look like big bear claws? Come on. <laughs> Actually, they did look kind of delicious. I mean, a little bit. You know, umoks are done with the hand, but are there like mouth umoks? I mean, there has to be mouth umoks. Right? Here is the thing. It's so nasty mm-hmm. that that TNG just put it on blast like that. Oh, and yeah. then they constantly have people doing it to Ferengis all the time. Yeah, just like in a room with other people sitting around. They just do their business in front of everybody. And these guys are a bunch of... Weinsteins who are constantly telling people, hey, um, give me an HJ while we sit around here and talk business. Stroke my lobes. Stroke my lobes, they do mm-hmm. say. Yeah. And this is why it's so terrible, because it's like, obviously, Quirk would have to put bug repellent on his ears. Yeah. Like, obviously he would, but 
Also, isn't that his jack-off lotion then? Like I know, you mentioned this last week when you told when you said Don't make Nog do it. Yeah, he made Nog go get his lotion and then It's a big problem. Well, they've got big ears, so they, that's probably what sex is like for that. They probably get on get on them ears. They yeah. probably get on them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. I just wonder, they have really sharp teeth. So maybe that maybe oh, that yeah. prevents maybe not, huh? some of the oral. Well, activity. but they sharpen their teeth. That's what I'm saying. They get at, they they go crazy. So like maybe the women don't? We haven't yet seen one. Except for the one who was pretending to be a man. So it would make sense yeah. that she had sharp teeth. That's a good point. We haven't seen Moogie yet, I don't think. We haven't met Moogie. <sighs> anyway, sorry. So I'm sorry for getting sidetracked. I know everyone's really excited about this episode. Uh, they go. It's, da- it's Dangle Ferengis. They, it's Dangle Ferengis. They go to the temple. There's some Ferengis there. They're like telling everyone the rules of acquisition and like everyone's got to do all the greed. Do the greed. And that's how you become good good people of this planet. Be- be greedy. Put your baby and your sick mother-in-law to work. Yeah, exploitation begins at home is what they say. And that's because um, many years ago in a TNG episode, they flew through a dang old wormhole that they thought was stable. It was stable on the other end, but just opened up on like random places. And these Ferengis end. didn't listen to Jordy and Data who were like, hey, don't go in there. We got to get back. It is not cool here. This is not where we thought we were going. And they're like, you're trying to trick us. Uh, we're smart. And yep. they they went through. And uh, they crashed on this planet. And um, I guess they heard some legends about sages that like rode fire, like a fireball, into their planet and all this other shit. Yep. And so... Yeah, they... Laurent John Cleese was probably just given the song away before the Ferengis came around, right? Laurent John Cleese, by the way, appeared in Enterprise as the one of the racist prejudiced vulcans in the aids episode oh and he did look familiar also appeared in um i have a note on this he appeared in oh in tng in first contact uh the episode as the prejudiced uh, racist xenophobic defense minister or whatever oh i liked him in that he seemed so scared we'll talk about that one eventually yes it's not a great episode but there are some decent performances in it better than this episode i'm willing to say already um oh does that have is carolyn seymour in that one too oh yeah she plays, in her non-romulan role she plays reasonable alien yeah 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 she's good in star trek i don't know if she's ever done anything else uh babylon 5 okay um was she good in it she was pretty good honestly okay all right, so it's uh, Ferengi, and they're exploiting the planet so they can get wealthy, right? We get it. Um, so when they figure that out, they're like, well, dang, that's uh, we can't just let them uh, mess with these people. And they're all living in poverty, and the Ferengi are getting rich, so let's do something about it. And then they make a, a real... Janeway makes a real convoluted argument about why <laughs> it doesn't break the Prime Directive. Yeah, Tuvok is like, once again, this is completely against the rules. And she's, hey, do you remember last week? And she's like, but but you know, well, it's kind of our fault. We, so We really, because this wormhole thing, we, we hosted the negotiations for the wormhole. And so anything that ever happens for the rest of time with that wormhole, sort of on us. Which is true. The Enterprise literally hosted the negotiations. Mm-hmm. That was their entire involvement. Yep. Well, then Riker and Riker in. had to. Once the other ambassador got the stomach flu, Riker had to. Yeah. You know, had space to step in space and, lawyer Riker had stepped up. Had, yeah, had to step up, and then, uh, and then De- Devonani Rawl really misreads him. Misreads him bad. I feel like we should go back and start a list of all the things that Riker has, all the second careers Riker has had, because <laughs> well, this- he gets called in for everything. Um, Picard really uh, leans on. Of course, it would be inappropriate for me to do it. <laughs> right, 
But as the next ranking officer, I think it's your your responsibility. Yeah. Uh, so she makes a super convoluted argument about it, and everyone goes, yeah, all right, I'm in, including Tuvok. Um, so they're going to mess with these Ferengi. So um, uh, first they just beam them up. Yep. Just beam them up to the ship, and they go, hey, we're going to take you home. We yeah, think we've figured says, out this wormhole. You're kidnapped. Yeah, you're kidnapped now. We figured out this wormhole. We solved the wormhole, and we're going to go in it, and so you're coming with us. So, um, you know, peace out. But there's a smart Ferengi and a dumb Ferengi because uh, it's very unfortunate, but they take center stage in this episode. Oh, it's a lot. It's a lot of these two very minor characters from that, one of whom has been recast and one who hasn't. Yeah, it's um, extremely unfortunate that they get all of the character work in this episode. So there's a smart one and a dumb one. And the smart one's like, oh, you can't just, like, steal these people's gods away because their society will just fall apart and it'll be so, so bad. And Starfleet doesn't just go, so? And take them. They go, oh, that's a super good point. All right, beam them back down. Meanwhile, these guys have been here for seven years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know why Janet doesn't say, they'll get over it. Because they, they totally would. Because They're going to get over it. I honestly, I don't know how much of the planet uh, bows down to these sages. but Seems to be this one city and a couple of provinces they're expanding to unsuccessfully. That is what I was getting at. It did not seem like they had global domination or anything. No. Um, so they beam the Ferengi back down, uh, but then they come up with another plan that never would have worked, which is, uh, they're going to send someone down pretending to be the grand proxy messenger of the grand Nagus, the, yep. what we still have not really determined the extent of his role in Ferengi society, but like the president of money. He does seem to be kind of the president of money. He's the president of money and money's important to the Ferengi, so... Um, so they're gonna dress up old Neelix, probably one of the least familiar people with the Ferengi on the whole ship. They're gonna dress him up as a Ferengi because the actor once played a Ferengi. Uh, this is Dirty Pool, in my opinion. Right? So, like, it's okay to have Quark play a couple of the guy who plays Quark play a couple of different Ferengi mm-hmm. which we, because we'll they're supposed to be different Ferengi and you're supposed to overlook that it's the same actor and it's not that obvious yeah the problem with what they do here is that when we see Neelix in Ferengi makeup which is not his makeup that he will be in uh, as Dr. Farrick in one of the worst episodes of TNG prove it we will <laughs> we will uh, prove it with numbers He's supposed to be Neelix. So we're supposed to notice, hey, that's Neelix. Yeah. That's what's dirty pool about this. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, Neelix, again, from a wrong... Also, the wrong knows quadrant. nothing about Ferengi. <laughs> he is the least familiar with all Ferengi things. They send him down. They don't even show him doing like a Cyrano thing where he's like, he's got a... He's got someone in his ear telling him how to romance these Ferengis. I shouldn't have said Cyrano. But something yeah, like Cyrano that. was an odd choice, but I guess there's not really a non-sexual one of these, <laughs> is there? Uh, he, just a newsreader. Just Ron Burgundy. That's right. Ron Burgundy, the spot fucker. Um, so he just goes down there and he tells him, hey, Grand Nagus has recalled you. The wormhole, again, has been solved. Um, we're going to take over this operation. Um, so you guys are, are recalled to Ferenginar, you're going back through the wormhole, take all your shit, and by the way, uh, deliver a nice speech to the populace telling them that you are leaving and not to freak out. Smart Ferengi ain't going for that. Nah. 
he um <clears throat> he eventually takes a sword to <laughs> fake grand <Yes>. proxy <laughs> Their plan is to kill him with swords. Yeah, they come up. He kind of tries to come up with a couple of plans <laughs> that don't go that well with words, and then he just goes, "Oh, we'll just fucking stab him to death." Then, uh, so they get they stab on and try to kill Neelix until he admits that he's faking and he is not the Grand Proxy, and he don't know what a Ferengi even is. Uh. So anyway, uh, Tom, Tom and Chakotay go, and they get they get Neelix, and they're about to leave, and then like in a Bethesda game. A bard walks by and gives them the answer to their to their quest and their quest map updates. Yeah, it turns out there's like hella more verses and these guys are supposed to leave, so now it's totally fine for the Federation to kidnap them again. Right. So like their quest map updates, it shows like updated quest new objective and uh they they go out in front of the temple and they go, "Oh, I'm the I'm the other different sage." The, the Holy Pilgrim. The Holy Pilgrim. That third sage that you guys sometimes sing about. Uh, and guess what? I'm here to take these dudes back to the, I don't know, Divine Treasury or whatever the hell they've told the people on this planet. We leaving. So, peace out. And they're going to beam these dudes up, but the 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 crowd kind of overreacts. Because they're supposed to leave, sort of like they came in, in, a, in with fire. A trail of fire yeah, on, or whatever. On wings of fire. Sure. That sounds like um, like an 80s sitcom theme song or something. But on wings of fire, they're going to leave. But the Ferengi, uh, they have put up a field, a barrier of some sort to prevent beaming because they knew they were going to get kidnapped. Yep. So now these guys are going to yeah, light because, them on fire. Uh, Janeway did the worst possible job of this. She really me- she messed it. She Britta this one. She kidnapped them, and then when they said, oh, you can't do that, she said, all right. <laughs> so then she tried to trick them, and then when it came back around time to kidnap them, they had prevented that <clears throat> from being possible. So now these guys have got them strung up, and they're going to burn these Ferengi alive so they can go on their merry way. Uh, there's like, and Neelix, too. Yeah, and Neelix has one of the, the Ferengi. Um, there's an assistant who's one of the you know, one of the aliens and he seems like he's eager to get rid of these guys so he can take over the operation but anyway uh although later we see him giving back everybody's money so i guess he was done with these idiots yeah so they got him strung up and they're gonna set him on fire so uh i don't know tom paris and chakotay break in and like phaser the shit out of the thing that's uh preventing the beam out right yep and then they beam him out and then they're going to go through that wormhole. Again, wormhole has been solved. Yep. But the Ferengi do a Ferengi thing, and they overpower some guards, because what is Starfleet? Because Starfleet is racist, <laughs> and they were like, well, these Ferengi are idiots and not a threat. Yep. And they send one guy down with two Ferengi. That's right. To guard them. To take them. Take them th- After telling the Ferengi, we beamed up your shuttle. It's in our shuttle bay. If you ever want to look for Now go it. with Ensign Nobody. <laughs> Not not even Tuvok. Go with Ensign Nobody. He's going to take you down to the fucking brig. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yep. And so, of course, the Ferengi break out, steal the shuttle, and fly off toward the wormhole. And, uh, I don't know, some technobabble happens, and the wormhole gets whoopsied. Yeah. And the Ferengi shuttle gets sucked into the wormhole to be uh, spit out wherever, because it seems like now the other end has maybe been unstuck. Yeah. Whatever the Ferengi did to prevent Voyager from putting a tractor beam or beaming them out, mm-hmm. 
in their shuttle, it jacked the wormhole completely up. So now it's broken on both ends. Now the Barzons, who were probably sitting there (laughs) thinking, is there still a way we can make money off? Somebody must want this. I get that the other end is not stable, but like... We have half of a stable wormhole here. Somebody's going to come up with some kind of cool probe technology that'll be able to send telemetry from the other quadrant, and they're going to start. Right. They're going to want to shoot probes through and find out. They're going to map this thing. They're going to figure right. out what's on the other. Yeah, There's got to no. be. Oh, where'd it go? It's gone. It's gone forever. Well, uh, you'll, know, you'll never hear from us again. So obviously, Voyager. Uh, God, they done fucked everything up in the whole episode. They fucked up. And now they got to yeah. head back for home the regular old slow way. What was this episode about? Uh, even with good intentions, meddling with another culture can be costly. Okay. Janeway has no reason to clean up the Ferengi mess. No. But she's gonna. And just like in another episode we'll we'll get to this week, she thinks she can fix the problem. The Ferengi have done the thing that is the worst to the Federation. Yeah. They have fucked this culture up. But don't worry, we're going to be here for eight hours. I bet we can fix it. <laughs> we're going to be. I think we're all going to be pretty satisfied with what happens. As a result of which, they lose their chance to go home. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I guess the so the cynical take is, uh, don't trade something that doesn't matter for something that doesn't. That's right. What, You're trading you know something I mean. important for something that is not. Something that's don't trade something that's important for something that is not. Yeah. Um, but I think this is supposed to be, I don't know, it's Prime directive What's it about? Because it's not like, everything they do is wrong and bad. Yeah. <clears throat> and they, like, they don't... I know, you're, I can sense you're struggling with this. <laughs> they use an element of the pre-existing culture to undo. Yeah. Like, this is kind of a... Uh, I guess another uh, take would be to a poor sword that only cuts one way or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If I've, I sense that you're almost having a seizure. You're having so much trouble with this one. <laughs> this is how I ended up with my dumb take that <laughs> let's just treat this as a mediocre prime directive take, but it's it's a five. Okay. Um, I had prophecy is a self-serving tool used to fool the less fortunate or socially less socially advanced. Um, both the Ferengi and Starfleet use this, this people's dumb prophecies for their own interests. Now it turns out Starfleet, they think they're helping, but they still just show up and they're like, I'm also a a sage. It's me. The other sage. Yep. Uh, exploiting and confusing these people at every turn. Oh, they're just as bad. They just have better intentions. Right. So like apologies to our more religious listeners if they exist, but this seems pretty factual. (laughs) <laughs> it does, doesn't like it? prophecy is exactly used this way um i mean the t- this may be why you don't hear too much about prophecy <laughs> that's right but like every time you do it's a bunch of rubes sold their houses because harold camping said the world was about to end <laughs> he said on his ninth try he got he it said, right he said don't worry about it i did the math better this time <laughs> and they were like well we're not gonna need this money this money's for nothing um we're the rationalists from parks and rec so, Reasonableists? What were yes, they called? Yes, I think. The ones who uh, kept buying Ron Swanson's flutes. I think that's right, yeah. The ones who met in the park every yes. time? Yeah. Um, so I felt pretty good about the take, and I gave it a seven. 
Okay. Because I felt like they were they were giving you okay. So this is pretty standard. Look, I mean, it's called false prophets. Yes, this is standard Star Trek Roddenberry anti-religious stuff that I'm usually pretty on board with. Yeah. Um. The, by the way, love to see this in Deep Space Nine where there are prophets. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the takeaway should have been. But don't worry, they're just super powerful aliens. The takeaway in this episode definitely really is. Don't stop for anything. Just go to the wormhole. Just go home. The wormhole's right there and you solved it. And also, by the way, if you did fix the fucking wormhole. You could just come back next week. You could just you could just come back and fix the you could come back and fix the Ferengi problem later. And it would be real easy because you could just bring more Ferengi, you could bring more Starfleets, you could do anything yeah. you wanted. Just go to the wormhole. Yeah. Uh anyway, so it was a seven for me. Well, how did you think they did on execution then, since you gave this one so many points on uh, take? Oh, everything about it was awful. Um, I feel like this episode proves that you aren't even really supposed to attempt to view Voyager as its own show. Like, the creators, the writers, everybody is essentially telling us to go back and watch TNG and DS9 uh-huh. and maybe TOS. And then, like, yep. after that, come back and watch our dumb show. Yeah, the elevator pitch for this show is they're a million miles from the Federation. Mm -hmm. They're going to be all on their own, and it's going to be all new challenges. We're not going to know anything about any of the people they meet there. Yeah, It's going to be a new grand adventure. Cut to, hey, remember those two Ferengi that went through the wormhole? (laughs) Remember this very minor mystery? Hey, Picard said Delta Quadrant in that episode. (laughs) What if? Yeah. Like, no wonder the ratings Hey, aren't sh- the Borgs from the Delta Quadrant? That's right. That's what will happen. Ooh. Like, no wonder the ratings were shit. Because if you yeah. ever were someone who was like, maybe you were younger, maybe you just never got into it. Maybe you were watching whatever the lead-in show was on, on UPN. I don't know. And Let's say seven days. Let's say it was seven days starring Jonathan LaPaglia. You're, mm, you, the Sentinel was a better show, wasn't it? No, let's say seven it, days was a better let's show. Let's say it was a Sentinel starring Richard Berge. That show ends, and this one begins... And the Ferengi, okay, so they go to that temple, and then it shows the Ferengi, and then there's super ominous music. And you're like, well, what am I supposed to know? I know about these guys. Well, (laughs) if you're you're watching the Sentinel, if you're just the Sentinel viewer or whatever, you go, what? Wait, is that, am I supposed to know what that is? What is it? And every sing- this happens in every episode. Everything that is a callback to a TNG or a TOS or a, a DS9, there's like all these reactions and everything, and they don't really bother to explain what's happening until later in the episode. And I just feel like oh, yeah. they're Q not- shows up, and Jane White's like, I know all about you, Q. <laughs> and it's like, well, no wonder no one was watching this, because necessarily your ratings are going to be smaller than DS9, because you have to watch all the DS9s. To understand what's happening here. No wonder your ratings are going to be less than TNG. You have to watch all the TNGs first, you know? Mm. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> again, Neelix being sent down there doesn't make any sense. Maybe. It's a, literally probably the second worst choice. Kess would have been a worse choice. That's what I had. Maybe Kess is a, a less prepared than Neelix for this. And then again, the solution coming to them like it would in a Bethesda game where the guy just walks by and goes, Listen to this! Here's what you do! <laughs> And then, again, your record updates and ask you to go to, like, Elven Hollow or Whitewater or whatever something is. And then you just go, and you're like, well, that wasn't very good storytelling. I wasn't even paying attention. (laughs) Nothing required by any of our heroes to get the job done. 
The whole episode was nothing. What was all that underboob? What is this? Oh, I know, right? Oh, the Ferengi are gross in a sexual way. I'm, but they love human boobs. The only people grosser are the writers of this show. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm giving it a... No, it's like, <clears throat> look, the Dabo girls are a real underboob outfit. Yeah. And I guess in-universe, we're supposed to believe that's because Quark likes that. And not, as I believe, because Rick Berman likes it. Okay, here's... Just some in-universe stuff. If the Ferengi took over, and the Ferengi think females aren't even supposed to wear clothing. Why are they wearing clothing? Yeah, and I know you can't show naked ladies on the TV, but it's like, then don't show the ladies there. Because now I'm going... Because these guys are fucking freaks, right? (laughs) Because they're perps, yeah. And as the one said, before he got kicked at weekly by Tasha Yar... Right. The inviting others to (laughs) unclothe them. Yeah, maybe that's it. So this is some perverted shit for them, I guess. I had it as a two, but I'm actually dropping it to a one. Because I hated it. Yeah. Um, uh, so I gave it two. Okay. Hey, do you remember when Janeway was so sure that Tuvix had to die? Right. That she executed him herself? I'll never forget. Now if Ferengi can talk her out of taking them away from the planet they've been ruining in 20 seconds... I guess he really was the smart one. Well, smarter than her. He, like, but but what she, happened? She like, just quit. What happened to her moral certitude all of a sudden? Yeah, because she still had it because she has that whole convoluted excuse for yeah. getting involved in the first place. But then when she runs into that guy and he's like, but these people will be so sad. She's like, okay, good point. This is, all, this is the return of we have to put things exactly back the way they were, Janeway, who only yes. sent Harry Kim and that baby through the... Uh, tunnel. That's time one hundred percent why she is interested in this. Yes. Yeah. Also, as usual, these two things have to happen at exactly the same time in order for the Ferengi to ruin their chance to get home. That's because the wormhole read the script. Yeah, the wormhole knew exactly what time to appear. Also, uh, like Neelix could have, they could have called up, and Neelix could have said, "I got found out." Yeah. But, hey, we think that they're, these guys are supposed to leave, so like maybe there's a way. And then Janeway could have said, the wormhole's going to be here in eight minutes. Yep. Just get back up. We, we got a book. We're, now we're leaving the Ferengi behind. Yep. <laughs> or maybe just put a photon torpedo right into that town. It's already garbage. Yeah, or again, we'll be back next week. Yeah, or we, we, we'll, we know now how to send people back here. We know that this uh, wormhole reopens here every eight years or whatever. Right. But no. She's gonna keep. She's gonna keep playing this idiotic game right up until the very moment their chance to get home appears, and that just you know, yeah, just for plot reasons. Yep. Yeah. This episode sucked. It, was, it sucked a big dick. It wasn't good. But um, world building though. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you score it? I, I'm two. Okay. All right. The other end of the bars on wormhole. Yeah, you remember that one. That you remember that wormhole that we knew would be important? You because know, in the one with the oily at the feet. And everyone's really disappointed about it. The one in the episode with Troy's oily feet. I wish that was behind us and not in front of I us. I know, right? How come there's still more foot stuff ahead? What's happening? We already made it through Eulogium or whatever that one was called. <laughs> um, was that a movie with Matt Damon? Something like that. Hey, all the rules of acquisition. Nonsense. Yeah. We Surprisingly, they do more work about the rules of acquisition in this than we've seen in Deep Space Nine. How many there are, all the commentaries, etc., etc. Right. 
Well, again, these Frankie were the star of the show. Yeah. And the Grand Proxy stuff, too. Apparently, he's real. And there's stuff in the rules of acquisition about him. Yeah. Also, the rules of acquisition appear to work. He has an electronic copy that appears to work mostly like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I believe it was based entirely upon it. Yeah. When I saw it. Um, That's it. That's it for world building. And? Two. Okay. <clears throat> it's worse than usual. Yeah. Okay. So, one thing that was cool was that they were actually interested in wormholes in the beginning of this episode. Like, trying to find a short way to get home. Yeah. That was good. Um, this wormhole, uh, only stable on one end, which is one fewer end than you'd like. It's like <laughs> ha- halfway to the good wormhole in DS9, but like also falls infinitely short of it at the same time. Yes. It's weird how having only one working end, uh, works. Well, I mean, so they should be, they... It took them a while to figure out this was the bars on wormhole. Yes, right. Yeah. They didn't know that till they met the Ferengi. Right. But like, they are three quarters of the way across the galaxy from home. Yeah. There's a real good chance any wormhole will get them closer to home. Yeah. Unless it, there are there wormholes that zap you outside of the galaxy. That's the only problem. I mean, I don't I mean, know. What if there's a wormhole that zaps you like six galaxies away? Well, then you can stop trying and just find a new home. <laughs> or just only look for wormholes. Just be like, we're looking for one thing only. Okay. It's just wormholes, wormholes from now on. Yeah. We gotta, gotta hope we get one that takes us back to our own galaxy. <laughs> right. Or like a nearby one, I guess. Yeah, we're just gonna try to make positive gains on this one. That's it. Yeah. Um, uh, all the stuff about Tuvok detecting the replicator and, again, the questions. Is it just the use of a replicator that proves it's the Alpha Quadrant? Or was there something about what he found? So, questions there. Uh, again, procedures for like a 10 minute investigation of a planet's society and inhabitants, which seems. Yeah, I guess the fact that they can use a probe to see what kind of clothes people are wearing is something, but I think we actually already did see that in Enterprise. Enterprise. That's what was a bummer. Um, more. A- sometimes Enterprise attempts to explain how a thing could be possible, and sometimes that backfires on them. I hate the Universal Translator. We've uh, talked about it many times. Yeah. But I do appreciate that they try. But sometimes they, yeah, you're, sometimes they shouldn't. Um, more aliens that look just like humans. Um, exactly like humans. In this case, like, not even, like, a, a ridge here or a bump there. Like, just from what was outside of the clothes, pure human. Uh, again, all the things the Ferengi did with the society. Frangs are the currency on this world we'll never visit. Uh, Ferengi are gross, just getting lobe jobs across the room while their comrades work. Uh, when the Ferengi disappeared, there were 285 rules of acquisition. Yeah, it's a two for me. Let's talk about the Frangs there for a minute. Yeah. I have noted your two. Um, it's like some kind of copper coin, right? Looks like it. And the Ferengi on this planet are pretty happy because they've got all the copper coins. They got all the And everything. at the end of the day, that's kind of what matters for them. Yeah. yeah. Now here comes the Grand Proxy. And he's like... We're taking all your shit. And for there's not one minute where Arador says, I mean, you want these copper coins? Why do you want our frangs? You can't do anything with those. You know they're... You know they're frangs, right? <laughs> yep. You know this is just some dumb copper... You know that you could just replicate everything that's in this room 
Yeah, this is only important because these are the only things on the planet and we have this all is, of them. This is only useful to people who are trapped on this planet and are building a little tiny kingdom for themselves. They and no and I get it. It's not the real grand proxy. It's Neelix. Yeah. But these dumb Ferengi aren't for one second like, well, that makes no sense. Yeah, what would he even want with this nonsense? There's no trade opportunity here. Yeah. These guys can't these guys don't even have mining technology. Yeah. I know they said the word mining. It didn't make sense to me then. It doesn't make sense now. Yeah. You know what these guys are hella impressed by? Leather shoes. Like crazy impressed. Like they're you can trade leather shoes for anything. It's really way more important than Frank's. If you got That's shoes. how we got these women in these uh, candy bikinis. That's right. We replicated some shoes. We gave them leather shoes and then we told them you can't wear them when you're on duty. That's right. Because we also like foot stuff. It's creepy. I agree. Why do, they, why do they think Neelix wants those frangs? It makes no sense. I am in agreement. God, this episode's dumb. Characterization, though? Um, yeah. Some Again, some wild rationalization by Janeway about the Prime Directive that everyone's on board with. Though I feel like there's enough precedent on stopping others from interfering with less advanced cultures that you could just name one of those and move on. You could have just said... Uh, Remember Ardra? That's yeah, very much like Ardra. Or whatever. Like, you could just name one, and then you wouldn't have to say all that weird stuff about how you had hosted the bars on wormhole negotiations. Um, Chakotay, disgusted by the inequity on this planet, as is Paris. There's very little character work in, by the crew in this episode. Kim is real excited about this wormhole. I mean, that's it. The rest is the Ferengi. I got I got it as a two. My initial score is a two, but let me read it again because I'm worried that it might not even be a two. <laughs> I was worried about it too. Janeway doesn't give a shit about rules anymore. Yeah. She'll do a kidnap. She just she just wants to fucking <clears throat> ride fire with Kirk and Sulu, that's it. But she won't shoot these Ferengi out of the sky or leave the society in trouble. Yeah. <clears throat> inconsistently handled. Yeah, so her rule-breaking ends up helping no one. Yeah. No one is better off because she showed up. These guys were ten days away from getting rid of the Ferengi themselves. You could tell by their assistant. That's right, that guy was eager. That guy was about ready to stab someone in the middle of Umox. <laughs> Chicote and Paris are literally only in this episode to report back up to Janeway. And to feel bad about the loss of their replicated shoes. They both complain yeah. about giving up these shoes that they wouldn't wear on the ship. No. That they can just make more of. Dumb. No one else is in this episode. Agreed. That's why I gave it two. I agree. Entirely. Janeway has become trash. Last week she was a full-on... Uh, space pirate? Space pirate. <laughs> yes. This week, she's the world's worst kidnapper. It's really bad. Everyone says, um... She gives that order at the end, like, uh, resume course for home. Do you think she gets on the fucking comms and tells people, okay, the wormhole didn't work out. The f <laughs> We kind of... We didn't put guards on the Ferengi. <sighs> yes, right. They tried to do something to, for our... Tra anyway... We're back on the 75-year plan. She's lucky there are no good options to replace her, because how many times... Could, it's like it's like a, a football coach 
who like routinely messes up a two minute drill or like wastes all the timeouts and then they need one and they don't have one. And after like the fifth time in one season, like they're gone, like they're not getting rehired. Who's going to replace her though? She could just keep fucking up forever. Cause what are they going to put Tuvok in charge? They didn't like that. Chakotay. I, I mean, for real, but it's, but it's like, you know that it had taken, she probably didn't get on and tell him about this wormhole plan anyway, but it had, like, filtered through the ship. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah. We're going home, for sure. Nope. No. No. All right. Well, well, you got some quick hitters, then? So now it's got to fucking, it's got to filter back down. Oh, that didn't, well, that didn't work out. That didn't work out. <laughs> Someone will know the true story, though. Someone will know <laughs> that it was because they sent that one guy down. Quick hitters. Yeah. Uh, this is the bars on wormhole, of course, mm. I said. Before not knowing whether or not they would actually say that, right? Um, how did those women get fake boobs? Did the Ferengi do the boob jobs? Yeah, they just replicated the stuff, and then they just and then they did the surgery, sliced them up. Yep. <clears throat> then, uh, hey Voyager, you cannot do this. You cannot have Neelix in Ferengi makeup when this actor has played a Ferengi before. Mm. Uh, Neelix does a real bad job. I get that those guys were coming at him with swords. He gave away way too much. Yeah. I, my name is Neelix, and I'm with Voyager. And this has all been a trick. You've been tricked. I tricked you. <laughs> I tricked you, and we're, we're, we are... Please don't kill me. We don't have the balls to just take you away so you can continue to do what you want. But, um, yeah. Then I just wrote, fuck. <laughs> and that's the end of my quick hitters. Nice. I give best actor to Neelix, I guess, and worst actor to Cole. All right. Cole's the dumb one? Yeah, Cole's the lesser sage. Okay. Uh, I already talked about a lot of these. Hey, are the other aliens in the galaxy mad that fully two-thirds of all sentient species look like humans? <laughs> you think it's got to get on their nerves? And the Klingons got a disease that made them look like humans? Yeah. Maybe it's uh, maybe everyone else is just like, uh, humans look real generic. Maybe we look like classic greys or something yeah, to them. Exactly. And they're like, uh, you guys got nothing. You don't got shit. It always weirds me out because like, we saw the lady who they talked to in the chase who like is, is talked about how her people seeded the galaxy with their genetic material. And she looks like, oh, a, the, she looks she like, like a, dang, a damn founder. Yeah, she looks dang like a, founder. a dang Odo out there. And how come everyone doesn't look like an Odo? Everyone looks like a human. Um, yeah, everyone got, like, a little more facial definition than her, but most people just stopped at human. That's right. I mean, c- come on. A Romulan has pointy ears and a little bit of forehead work. Yeah, that's a lot. For and aliens. bad haircuts. But, like, if they didn't have those haircuts, yeah, they I guess they'd look like Savick when Robin Curtis played Savick. Yes, lesser Savick. Lesser Savick, yes. <laughs> um, We already talked about a lot of underboob in this episode. Um... So this old boy, this assistant... Oh, they shoot him from below a bunch, too. It's real bad. The whole thing was perverse. Uh, This assistant, this old boy, he thinks he, what, wished the Ferengi away? Like, they're yelling at him, and then they get beamed out by Voyager, and he, like, smiles like a moron and, like, lays on their shit and is, like, enjoying himself. He's like, ah, I did it. Bro, you think they are magic sages? They probably just did a disappearing trick on your ass. What are yeah. you so satisfied with? Um, it's a good point. These Ferengi are using the Ardra strategy from Devil's Do. Um, but without tricks. They just have a replicator. Just the replicator that they just showed everybody. This is our magic device. Um, 
And again, I know it's the writers who are racist and anti-Semitic, but it always makes the characters seem the same way. And I don't know what to do with it. We always talk about how what happened with Starfleet was all the humans agreed to set aside their differences so they could go into space and murder aliens. Yep. But, like, why did they write it that way? And why did it continue to be written that way for all of the Star Treks? Like, they've all just gotten together. Everyone who ever was a showrunner or a writer, everyone got together and agreed. People in Starfleet are crazy racist. Because everything they say about the Ferengi is based on stereotypes. Which, of course, happened to be true because it's basically Star Wars. Anyway, that's all I had. They're the Jews of the cosmos, and it's offensive. And here is the thing. When you listen to Picard and Data and everybody uh, talk about the Ferengi in, I don't know, Last Outpost? Is that where we first meet him? Uh, they talk about them in the pilot, but we first meet them in Last Outpost. Okay. They refer to them as Yankee traitors, right? Yeah. So, I don't think it was the writer's intention to make them space Jews. So what I think it was whoever did that first directing job and told them, no, you guys get it right, you're Jews. Be real weaselly. More weaselly. Like a Jew. (sighs) And then just went on forever. They just never corrected it, and they treat all the aliens that way. Where they just, they do a Star Wars, they give them, like, three characteristics if they're lucky. And then they're like, that's all of them. That's what they like. Yeah. Anyway. Again, 45 minutes talking about Voyager. It happens every week now, I don't know, because it's so bad we have to talk about it. It, So it gets, this one got under my skin. It was very bad. I I was aggravated by it. I yelled at you on uh, Google Hangouts for a while about this. Uh, because I I felt like this was the same episode as mm. oh fuck I don't remember now yeah I um and I told you I wasn't sure I had the courage to keep watching that night after I watched <laughs> that Voyager episode this is real bad um but luckily next up in our order was uh, TOS and they've been on a real winning streak mm. this week's episode is a piece of the action. The Enterprise arrives at Sigma Iota 2, following up on a ship lost a hundred years ago, the Horizon, whose conventional radio signal they just received. Mm. And Kirk has a conversation with their leader, Boss Oxmix. <laughs> not, that's not a Star Wars if character. They, I, if, I get it. If they took on all the Chicago gangster stuff that we're about to get into, how come they couldn't take on some good old Chicago gangster names? Yes, they gave them weird alien names just so we wouldn't get too confused. They they really went back in time. Uh, They beamed down to meet him. Anyway, on the way to the transporter room, Kirk uh, discusses the result of the Horizon's likely interference with the native culture. This was before the non-interference directive. Mm -hmm. And when they arrive, yep, Matt already said it, gangland Chicago. 
And they get held up by a couple of goons. You know, then with, a car with some more goons go by and with, shoots up the joint with hackneyed accents and stupid. Yep. They suits. all got their fedoras and yeah. their Tommy guns and etc. Uh, they get to Oxmix, and he has a book on a pedestal called Chicago Mobs of the 20s. Mm-hmm. Like a reference book, like a coffee table book or something. Yeah, although this is uh, not the, its original binding. Clearly, this is their local binding of it. Yeah. Um, and it's their Bible. He's the boss of this territory. It's the largest territory in the world. Horizon accidentally left this book behind, along with some others they intentionally left behind. Like, man, textbooks on how to make radios and shit. Yeah, they weren't just um, accidentally interfering. They were, like... They no, had they some... were bringing civilization to this culture. <laughs> exactly. But this is the one that they treat as their Bible. So, Oxmix wants weapons from the Federation so he can wipe out his enemies. Mm. And when Kirk says, uh, that ain't how it works, he locks him up in his warehouse. All right. Then he calls up the ship and asks Scotty for the weapons. Though this communication doesn't go real well scotty has to send someone to look up his crazy dialect right kirk feels like the federation is responsible for what's happened to the ioceans it's familiar yeah and uh he thinks if he can just get spock back to the sociological computers or something yeah, they got they'll, a, they'll they'll have a they'll have a fix. They have they'll a have lot a of fix. special computers and special departments on Enterprise. Yeah. So uh, he's going to do a little trickery. He invents a game called Fizzbin in order to confuse the card playing gangsters watching them. Mm. But um, it's a kind of a thin premise because he just knocks them out anyway. So that was a waste of time. Yeah, the guy doesn't get so distracted that he like looks away or anything. He's just like, ah, did, did I win? And then Kirk just hits him. And then Kirk, him. like, drops a card, and the guy goes, oh, I'll get it. And then Kirk hits him. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, It was not a good scene. Wah. Maybe there wasn't a good scene in this episode. It's possible. Uh, so, Spock and McCoy go to a radio station to make contact with the Enterprise and beam up. Uh, and Kirk is going to go, he's going to go get Oxmix. But he gets waylaid again, and this time it's uh, the Southside boss, uh, Krakow. <laughs> yep. Who wants the same thing as Oxmix weapons, but uh, he's in a worse negotiating position, so he is going to uh, offer Kirk a third of the take once he's the big boss right off the top. Um, But again, Kirk says no, gets taken to a holding room, rigs up a tripwire with a radio, beats up all his bosses, etc. Right. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, Spock's computers uh, don't turn out to have a solution to the problem. Oxmix calls back and tells Spock, hey, Krakow got Kirk. Spock agrees to go down and work out a plan with him, saying he has no choice but to trust him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, it is a betrayal. Yeah. But it doesn't matter, because Kirk busts in with a gun and rescues them. But now it's Kirk, like, in a suit with guns? Yeah. Okay. And uh, he starts talking like a real asshole. <laughs> yep. He starts doing his version of this dialect. It's at then this he point, and Spock dress up as gangsters and take a car on over to Krako. It's at this Krakow. point where you get to the part of the episode that was always intended to be the core of the episode, which yeah. is Spock and Kirk get to pretend to be gangsters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they get a street ruffian to make a distress that you know cause a distraction mm. so they can get in. Uh, but that's a trap, so that's fine. <laughs> now they're trapped again. The fourth trap of the episode. <laughs> so he convinces 
uh, Krako that what he has to say, Krako, I don't remember. Krako sounds right. Is too sensitive for all of his thugs, so he gets him to go into like another room with less of his thugs, and uh, they beat him up. Yep, they beat him up. So now here's his deal. He is gonna. He has Scotty beam Krako up to the ship. Then they go on back to Oxmix. Yeah. Uh, he has Oxmix call all the other bosses, and every time he calls one, they beam him there. Yeah. Like, they use the telephone to trace them. Yes. So now all the bosses are in a room. Krakow's beamed back down. But here come Krakow's men, and they have a plan. They're going to shoot up the joint. Yeah. So the big fight breaks out in the street. Uh, no, I should say I should say here, th- there is a point in every TOS episode where my mind starts to wander. Yeah. And it is at this point when the men show up <laughs> after Kirk has been walking around on the pool table and telling everyone what's what or whatever. Yep. Uh, I like woke up like eight minutes later and went, wait, <laughs> how, how did they get out of this? What happened? <laughs> yeah. So there's a big shootout in the street between Krakow's men and Oxmix's men. And everybody goes to the window to watch including Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, who get their guns taken from them. For the fifth time in the Because they're just lolly. They're just like, uh, you know, just, just uh, we'll just watch this sh- shootout. But it doesn't matter because they didn't take their communicators. Kirk has Scotty stun the whole thing with the ship's phasers. Turns out they can do that. Yeah, that's a thing. And uh, at that point, the gangsters agree to some kind of syndicate deal. So he sets up Oxmix as the leader of the planet and Krakow as his lieutenant. And he says they'll be back in a year for their 40% cut. And they fuck right off. It's But... It's great. But... Turns out McCoy left his communicator behind. And that gives these people, who are very clever and very imitative, the basis for all Federation technology. (laughs) They don't turn around and go back for it, though. No, they just have lay, lay off. They laugh it off. It's a yeah, good just joke. a laugh to credits. Yeah. What's this dumb episode about? Yeah. Uh, well, the the Empire long divided must unite. <laughs> Spock says it. Spock says it's how it has to be. He says it like nine times. He never really says why. I think it's some Janeway logic about setting things right or something. Because, like, I don't know what good it is to have that guy in charge of that planet. He seems like an asshole. Yeah. So I don't really... What good is a planetary dictator as opposed to 12 dictators, I guess, is my question. Um, yeah, as opposed to... I mean, I guess fewer people will get machine gun to probably... I, I don't believe that, though. It seems like Unless his, he just starts executing people by machine gun, yeah, his plan, North Korea style. His plan A really seems to be to gun people down, so I think... I don't know if that's going to help. Um, I mean, it's... Because I didn't understand what Spock was getting at, I could only give it a two. I didn't really understand what the takeaway was supposed to be. Uh, other than that, it was like the very basic don't mess with primitive cultures in case they imitate you. And then So you've seen my take. Then everyone's a gangster. I mean, I, you've been reading my I've broken your Google Notes. <laughs> you hacked me this week. But I didn't use it because I have manners. <laughs> so I, I used my own take. Yeah, it was a two for me because I didn't really understand my even what I could come up with my my own take. Well, here's what I wrote. Okay. Even benevolent or accidental interference in a culture might turn it into something pretty hard to watch 40 minutes of. Yeah, that's for sure. If only it was 40 minutes. 
It's a fine take, although, of course, Kirk has to fix it by the end of the show. And, of course, he leaves without verifying in any way that it's fixed. It's like, I guess this idea of non-interference... Well, Kirk has said it two or three times so far this season, but this is the first episode that's really about it. Yeah. Um, so it's fine. It's fine. I thought it was less good than the similar Voyager take because it, there are no consequences for Enterprise here. No, and again... This is a real nothing for them. And again, they just interfere some more, and if anything, they reinforce the negative things that happened the first time, because their solution is to get them into an arrangement where they think the Federation is taking 40% of the cut, that they're the big boss. So if anything, they said, don't worry, the whole galaxy's like this, guys. Kirk hand waves it, too. He says, well, we'll just put that 40% into their treasury and force them to use it to improve their civilization. Yeah. What? So you're going to do more interference. Yep. It's not good. <laughs> so what'd you give it for points? Four. Okay. Uh, execution. Sure. If you're going to do this, show us something beautiful and good that was lost. That'd be cool. Instead of this nonsense. I get that the idea was pretty new in the 60s. Which is why Kirk can be bringing civilization to the galaxy in yeah. in previous episodes. Right. But this dumb buffoonery, this had to have been um, broad even then. Yep. Even in the 60s, this must have been yeah, pretty Yeah, this broad. is light television you turn on during dinner or whatever, and you just go, ha, they, they're gangsters. Yeah, they're, gang- they're on a gangster planet. <laughs> I hope they never go to a Nazi one. <laughs> then The Vulcanian's a gangster this week. <laughs> hey Martha, look. Look, he's got I've got a hat on. <laughs> hey, he, he don't drive the car so good. <laughs> uh, also, Chicago gangsters were watching it in that little skit I just did. That's good. Um the dialogue and the car gags are terrible. Horrible. And so although I gave a premise, this whole episode comes off looking like what really happened was someone said what can we do on the Paramount backlog? Yeah. And someone said, oh, it's Chicago right now. Yeah, we got all kinds of costumes. I gave it a four, but it's actually a three. Wow, I can't believe it rated that high. Um, yeah, the four was wrong. It was a wrong four. Well, for me, it's a one. And oh, I what see. I mean, this was a joke episode. <laughs> it is a joke. I, don't, I didn't even know what to do with it. Like, Kirk got to be a gangster. They bullied the populace into accepting the Federation as overlords for a percentage of their profits. The last scene shows some more jokes about the looming threat that these dudes are going to reverse engineer all Starfleet tech within, like, a generation. This episode was not really built for our scoring system. No. <laughs> it's just a joke episode. It's like the episode where they had the witches and the black cat and the little pipe cleaner monsters. And it oh, was God. like, this isn't built for us. Like, I have nothing to dissect. There's no art happening. Nothing. They wanted to dress up like gangsters for a week. Did they, um... I kind of feel like that's how I'm going to feel about the Robin Hood episode. Except I know they're going to put in some stuff about Picard's having to overcome some part of his personality it's about his stunted emotions in some way right so so it'll get more points than it deserves kind of like this week's voyager did for me but like i am gonna hate that but for the the most part that episode we will know that they just wanted to dress him up like it was fucking robin hood um so yeah it's a one to me i don't even think it's necessarily fair because i think it they are not even intending art they're like no this is just a fun time so 
<clears throat> Did you give him any points for world building? Sigma Iota 2, Oxmix, boss of this old place. The Horizon lost 100 years ago. It's not great when you just start by naming the planet. <laughs> I do it all the time just in case. In case it's important. They talk and act just like Americans on the uh, the early to mid-20th century. Um, these dudes were just beginning to industrialize when the Horizon came and ruined them. Uh, about a dozen gang territories on this planet, in which I assume it looks just like the map in GTA San Andreas. With all the gang territories. I mean, probably. Also, they've got to be pretty... Like, there's a dozen of them on the whole planet. Oxmixes is the biggest, and Kirk can just drive over to, to Krakow? I said get out of my notes. Okay, sorry. <laughs> my next note. Is this whole planet like this? Is the whole planet one city? Oxmix has, Oxmix has the biggest territory, but Kirk is transported from one territory to another by car very quickly. Starfleet phasers are basically as loud as guns. Oh, he probably walks back, by the way, the first time he escapes from uh, Krakow. Yeah, but when they when he is kidnapped the first time, they just drive him over to Krakow. Yeah. And it's like, wait, is that guy's capital building in his great territory just on the very edge? And so is the other guys? Or like, how mm. does this territory work? What else are we to believe? Yeah, uh, again, Starfleet phasers basically as loud as guns. All that pew 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 stuff, super loud. Yeah. Uh, the importance of the transtator, which we just heard of. Um, and yes, the thing about the phasers being able to stun people from orbit. Yeah, it was a three to me. A lot of stuff that won't matter again, but some interesting stuff about, um, well, the transtator for one. And uh, uh, the horizon and uh, phaser stuff. So here's the thing about the transtator. I wrote that also in my world building. I'm not sure whether that's supposed to be fake technology like tritanium or duranium mm. or William Shatner mispronounced transistor. I know. Because it's, they seem equally possible to me. And it's like, oh, is, so the transistor is still the basis of all Starfleet technology. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also gave it the sta- what we call the standard three. Mm-hmm. It's weird. We should just go um, back and bump everything up to a five. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Three seems to be about the amount of world building that they're putting it's in. It's true. I'm not mad. Again, these are all it. relative to each other. Yep. Uh, subspace radio seems relatively new. Yep. A hundred years ago, there was no non-interference directive. All right. Ships phasers can stun. Yep. Transdators, but there's nothing about them, so it doesn't really count. Just that they are uh, crucial. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Three. Let's talk about characterization. Oh, okay, I'm in. I hated <laughs> Spock's sudden turn at the end when he said "use." When he decided he was going to play a little bit, play yeah. in the space, play in the space. Yeah. Except he's Spock. Sure. And how does he know? Like, has he been really paying attention to this dialect? He did seem very curious about it. He kept... Was it written in that book, Chicago Gangs of the 20s? He fed it into the computer. The computer. Did it say use in there? <laughs> and we put the bag on that guy, et cetera, et cetera? It because it doesn't seem like a textbook at that point, huh? <laughs> no. Uh, Scotty is a slow thinker this week for no real good reason. Yeah. This show is mostly Kirk, though, and he's fine, though I like double dumbass on you, Kirk, 
better than I'm going to put Krakow in the bag. Yeah, I know all the Chicago slang now. I like it better when he gets it just a little, just that one little bit wrong. Now you see, I've been captured five times already. I know everything now. Yep, exactly. In the good, good movie, Star Trek Four. Yeah, if only we should have done that project. It'd already be over. Just do the movie. Oh, God. Yeah, what if? (laughs) Um, On the whole, I only gave it four points for characterization. Uh, I had it as just average. I had it at five. Um, Kirk and all this Fizbin nonsense. If the plan is just to punch their heads, then can we just get on with it? Like, <laughs> What a fucking waste of everybody's good time, God, including I, mine. They really don't know how to fill 50 minutes. They should have made them 40. It's crazy. <laughs> Kirk is uh, all in. Every episode of Star Trek should have ended with a five-minute live read for soap. <laughs> Buy soap. That would be a lot easier to deal with now. They should keep those in, too, because that'd be some interesting oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Kirk is all in on this gangster slang. Um, but, again, not so good at driving. Spock really thinks this planet needs to be united like yesterday. Scotty wants to do slang, but isn't sure how. Yeah, I had it as average. So. <clears throat> you got some quickies for me? Mm. Give me them quickies. Have you seen the show Documentary Now that streams on Netflix? It's by... Um, I- I watched the first episode of it, and then I said, nah. Okay. There's one episode that's about a fake Al Capone day in, uh, I want to say, Iceland? That this town in Iceland has put on Al Capone day every year for however many years, and that they all dress like Chicago gangsters, and there's like a contest who can dress up and sound like Al Capone and all the stuff, and that's what the fake documentary is. That's what this episode was. It's just a, a farce about Al Capone Day. Um, <clears throat> the first the first episode of that was like a Grey Gardens knockoff or yeah, something. Yeah, some weird old shut-ins. Some, lady, yeah. some weird old shut-in ladies who uh, were murderers, I guess. They were murderers. And right. uh, they do some other ones. There's like one, they do a, a two-episode one about the Blue Jean Committee, which is a, a 60s rock band. Or, or maybe early 70s. Uh, they did one that Marjan and I thought was very good about a guy who gets framed for a murder. It's like a, a crime documentary just because everyone in the town hates his guts so much that that everybody frames him, the judge, the jury, everybody, because <laughs> they, they hate him because he, like, he carries trail mix in every pocket and he loves jazz and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, Oxnix was definitely about to scratch when they came in. He just he reached was picking out, up the cue ball on every shot. Just reached out and grabbed that cue ball as it headed for the corner pocket. Which I actually thought that was the only nice touch in the game <laughs> is that he doesn't know the rules of pool. That's right. He he keeps picking up the cue ball, and at one point he doesn't shoot the cue ball at all. He shoots like the five ball sitting next to it or something. Yeah, like in the book, there's a diagram of a pool table, but doesn't explain any of the rules or anything. Right. But they still built a pool table and made pool balls and shit and pool cues somehow. But he doesn't know the, but no one wrote the rules down. Yeah. Like they got a bad corrupted version. See, this is, so here is the problem, right? Mm. If we really were sending ships all out into space and there was no subspace radios and shit, do you know what all these ships would have on them? Just a copy of Wikipedia. Yeah. Just download the database. Mm. Hey, remember when everybody read The Great Gatsby like a hundred years ago? Yeah. And now everything is just jazz and like The Great Gatsby everywhere all over the damn world. <laughs> so, yeah, we made it our it's Bible. such a fucking ludicrous premise. 
And they try so, to like go, oh, it's just the nature of these people. They're they naturally mimic, and it's just like shut the fuck up. So do you want to talk about the Royale? Call it the Royale. In the Royale, this uh, the they hang a lampshade on this, right? Like, yeah. they found this. Uh, these this are bad some book. These are some aliens who have no other interaction with humans. Literally, all they've got is this book. Yeah. Now, they can read the book somehow. That's weird. Yeah, their Universal Translator is very good as well. They don't think that's just bad wood that's sitting in there. <laughs> what, right? is, what is this thing? But it's all they've got to go on with this guy. Mm. And they do it, and he writes a journal about how he hates this fucking book, and he hates living in it. Yeah, they should have read that journal. In, but in this one, which is kind of a cargo cult story, these idiots had a bunch of books, and they picked this dumb one <laughs> to be their Bible. It was the most fun, I guess. Despite the fact that it probably doesn't have a lot of advice on how to live your life. No. No. Probably just descriptive of some dudes who lived 100, 200, 300 years ago. However long but yeah, you're right, dog. You remember how uh, 10 years ago... Uh, Every lady on the bus was reading Fifty Shades of Grey, mm-hmm. and how now America is one weird fuck dungeon. Yeah, that's society now. Yeah, that's society now. Mm-hmm. Again, in that first scene where Kirk escapes, he was captured within 15 seconds. Yep. He is like Jack Bauer's daughter in 24 in this episode. I didn't watch 24, but I'm guessing okay. she's like uh, Liam Neeson's whole family yeah. in Taken series. Don't binge watch it. You'll see her get captured like six times in a 24-hour period, and you'll go, I don't think they remembered that. I don't think someone <laughs> was... No, there was no continuity on this show. No one was paying attention, because there's no way she can get kidnapped that much. Um, Dan, great. There was a kid in it, too. Wonderful. Um, Yeah, that's it for me. Well, someone had to say the name of the episode. Yeah. <sighs> Is this the same horizon as the horizon from last week? Oh. Did, because there is a scene in there where someone is has a, there's there's a book in the background in one of those that's like Chicago gangs. Wait. Gangland Chicago. Really? So it, the Enterprise folks went ahead and So here's what happened. Mayweather's online? family visited this planet. They left that book behind and then they blew up in orbit. Well, I guess we know what happens to them. If it's supposed to be the same ship. Dude. When they're sending Kirk to and crew to the warehouse mm. the first time. When he's got him captured and he's going to send him off to jail. Kirk opens the doors for everyone. <laughs> That's just polite. That's I right. liked that. Well, he was taught well in Iowa. How proud were the writers when they realized that you could call Federation's feds? Um, probably about as proud as, uh, hold on, what episode is it in this week? <laughs> there was something else that I accused the writers of just being so satisfied with. Oh, it's when Cisco says that he went to the, um, well, let me get it. He went to the, God, I don't know why I can't find it. He went to the, some Starfleet official herself. Ah, yes, the head of Starfleet Security yes, herself. the head of Starfleet Security herself. And he kind of emphasizes it, and he went, oh, they were pretty proud of that. Yes. <laughs> Probably about that proud would be my guess. Okay. Um, so Uhura's probably listening to all that music coming from those radio stations, right? Oh, sure. She's just like, just like listening to Diamond City Radio. She's like, oh, yeah, the ink spots. That's right. <laughs> yep. Because, uh... 
she hears them when Spock and McCoy call up. So I guess that's what she's doing in orbit up there. After just that, fucking uh, listen, listening to twenties jazz music. Yeah, and then she asks them what they're doing on that on that station or on that frequency. Yeah. Um. Yeah. After that great comedy moment where Spock says, "Don't worry, I know how to work radios," and then he turns on the radio and there's music and he's he can't just can't get it right. And then I just wrote, oh, God, car hijinks. And as indicated, that's only about halfway through the episode, but that was the last quick hitter I wrote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wasn't wonderful. I gave best actor to Krakow and worst to Oxmix, um, but I think that's just because I wanted to say those names one more time. Okay. Um, no notes from Ben uh, so far this week, so. I'm sure he loved this episode. He probably this was one of his favorites. Ten, he loves when they're tens across or the whatever. board. Maybe, maybe he gave it forty points, like he did with was that tribbles? That was tribbles, I think. Tribbles. Speaking of tribbles, next in our order is Enterprise. Mm. This week's episode is the breach. God damn it! Skip. Skip intro. <laughs> A real talk. We already pissed all over this week's Voyager episode. <laughs> it doesn't seem super likely that they're going to reclaim the title from uh, Enterprise this week. I just love the Netflix skip intro button so much in this case, and I'm so angry that I don't have it on this show. <clears throat> Flox feeds a tribble to a lizard, horrifying Hoshi, who has brought him a letter from the Denobulan Science Academy. Turns out. Some scientists of theirs are in caves on a planet that has recently become hostile to off-worlders. Whoops. And Enterprise is hoping to evacuate them before things turn violent. They send down Trip, Reed, and Mayweather in a shuttle. If they don't get the scientists back within three days, military patrols are going to begin arresting off-worlders. Okay. Cool. That's the timeline on this one. Right. Also... Archer rescues a ship in distress, uh, leaving this planet, and one of the injured crewmen on board the ship seems somehow familiar or meaningful to Phlox. We're not sure right away what that means, but definitely Phlox has given him a weird expression. It, was, it had Ferengi feels, except we didn't know who this guy was. Right. The uh, not-gay club heads into, heads into the caves with Mayweather in tow, and uh, they spend most of their scenes rappelling down a huge cliff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that be- That's most of the B-plot. The B-plot's kind of not important. <laughs> so, the injured man, whose name is Hudak, seems to be afraid of Phlox, and he says he'd rather die than be treated by him. And here it is. It turns out that the Denobulans and the Antarans, who this guy is, have a history of war. They haven't had a conflict for 300 years, but uh, this dude hates all Denobulans. Mm. And it puts Phlox in a bind because Denobulan medical ethics, we're learn- learning now for the first time, uh, <clears throat> means that he has no right to treat him against his will. Right. Uh, Archer even is like, hey, what about your oath? And he's like, yeah, I'm not. that's not mine. Yeah, I took a different oath. My oath so. is a different oath, and it, has, it means different My things. oath is... It's cool if evolution says one species is supposed to die. <laughs> you should just look at him and go, you know my oath. You know you know my oath. It's murder. Um, <clears throat> he also he refuses to follow even a direct order to treat the man against his will. Yep. So, fine. Uh, 
eventually Archer goes to talk to the guy. And Hudak tells him that the Denobulans killed at least 20 million Antarans in the last war. Sounds pretty rough. There's a lot. Archer does his best to convince him that Phlox is different, but then he also still goes to talk to Phlox about, you know, like, hey, did you guys kill a bunch of people, <laughs> yeah. etc.? Yeah, you guys didn't tell me that you're that you're bad, bad killers. Yeah, uh, Phlox is like, yeah, not proud of it. That wasn't good, mm. that thing that happened. Um, he still believes it's he is impossible to convince the man to let him treat him, but Archer orders him to at least try. Mm-hmm. I guess you can order him to do that. That makes sense. That's right. Well, good thing. That's that's one that's easy to brush off if you're getting ordered to do that. Like, Basically, oh, Archer thinks these these two species have no real contact with each other. All they do is tell scary stories about the other race. Like, yeah. they, ha- they don't have any contact with this race. They haven't made peace treaties or anything. They have no contact in the last 300 years. So maybe if one denobulan talks to one antar and things will begin to change etc mm-hmm. it's kind of a federation take it's why it's weird to come out of archer <laughs> yeah. but what's not weird is archer's going to make these two races do something he wants them to do that's normal and he'll cry but after the scene ends he'll go somewhere uh anyway halfway down that fucking repelling or whatever uh the team slips and falls and mayweather wedges his ankle in a hole Breaks it pretty good, so now uh, Trip and Reed are on their own. That makes no difference to what happens nope. in this story. No, they find the scientists down there. The scientists don't want to leave. Uh, Trip threatens them with violence to make them leave. He learned from Archer. Yep, they start to head back up. Whatever. Yeah, they start to head up, and it's like, oh, we don't have any climbing equipment. It's okay. We're good climbers. I don't know what that was. And then, uh, yeah, they just <laughs> yeah, they can climb without the equipment. Yeah. fucking fine. They eventually get out. Whatever. Yeah, all right, they get out. Yeah, who cares? Flox's yeah. um, first conversation with this guy goes pr- pretty badly, and it goes particularly badly when the guy says something about his children and what would his children think if he was here, if they saw him talking to one of these, to an Antaran. And Flox and, uh, and goes, I wish somebody would step on your children's testicles or something so you could f- understand the pain that I'm feeling right now. So, <laughs> what is that from? It's a famous Mike Tyson thing that he said to somebody. Okay. He said to some reporter, I wish someone would step on your kid's testicles. <sighs> <laughs> um, a T-Pole finds Phlox sulking, I guess, in the mess hall, though he really wants to talk to someone. And he tells her a story about how his grandma was real racist against the Antarans, and she wouldn't let him go to Antaran Legoland. <laughs> and he got mad about it and when he raised his kids he took them all there and he told them you know we did bad things to these people and they're not the monsters that everyone says they are etc etc but one of his kids ended up in the denobulan kkk anyway yeah he did and so i guess that's what shook him up about this so now he is determined that he is going to convince this man to let him treat him. He threatens to treat him against his will, but I don't know if that's a real threat or just a tactic. It's hard to tell because the conversation moves moves fast or whatever, but he tells him the story about how this guy hates Antarans and created a rift between them, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Hudak allows Flox to fix him, so he's not going to die. He survives the procedure, and... He's going back on the same transport with all these Denobulans, so maybe Archer's done some good with his meddling. Yeah. There's a... Sh- the 
they got back to the ship. They were shot at by these bad guys, but uh, it was just kind of a warning shot. Again, the whole B-plot is nothing. Yes, it is. And uh, Flock starts writing a letter to his racist son after not having spoken to him for like 10 years. There you go. Ooh, what's this about? Okay, so first I thought Japan may have put their imperialist years behind them, but China and Korea haven't. <laughs> then I thought set aside your preconceptions about a people and get to know the individual. But also, sure. what are a doctor's responsibilities when a patient refuses treatment? And is this kind of tied in with the climbers too, but maybe only barely? <laughs> I settled on the second one. Set aside your preconceptions about a people and get to know the individual. That's a good message. Right? Yeah. Okay, you hate all the Antarans or you hate all the Denovulans, but you never met one. So, like, maybe get to know this guy and then, you know, maybe he's a good dude. Maybe it'll change some of your preconceptions. So I think that's valuable and I think it's very Star Trekky, and I gave it a 7. Yeah, okay. Um, we we landed in sort of the same region, so here's what I wrote. Okay. You can hate the idea of an enemy, but hating them face-to-face is not as easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's my thoughts on this. Okay. It doesn't need to be sci-fi, sure. but this is definitely something that is easier to tell in sci-fi. Right? Yeah, the only other way to do this would be to do like a Cold War thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's a Star Trek take. Uh, I gave it as many as six points. Okay. I would have... This is a this is a better episode without the B story. Yes. Because it would have given more room to make more nuanced points about this, mm-hmm. I think. And it's... I have notes about uh, this in execution about... Yeah, that I think, that, I think that's where we are. Yeah. The take is a six for me. Yeah. Um, but I only gave execution a five. Okay. So the cave story is obviously pretty unrelated, although you're right that there's a little bit of a connection if this was about treating someone against their will. Yeah. With the way Trip is going to force these guys to leave because they're not safe here. Yeah. Even if they want to keep doing their fun geode science. When the A-plot turned out not to be about that, then I abandoned that. <laughs> yeah. I thought the Xantorans, our current regime, are like blanket xenophobes. Right. So, does it hurt the story that they are regressing in the opposite direction? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they have had face-to-face contact with aliens, but for some reason, they want them all gone now. Yes. But it's not clear that they hate any specific group or that there's any kind of history there. It just seems like the government is having a hard time right now. Maybe this is their Brexit or something. I think that's what's happening. Uh, they didn't necessarily know that was going to be happening here, but I think that is that's the feeling I got. But I think that the that this B story does one and only one useful thing, which is it allows time to pass in the A story, so that it's this is not one conversation. Exactly right. Where everything is solved, right? Yeah. So literally, they have to do something for time to allow time to pass. The- it would have been nice if that something was more related it would have been nice if when flocks is talking to t-pole the only other alien on the ship yeah they talk about maybe the vulcans had something i mean we know they don't love the andorians yeah he could have spent the the time when we were seeing climbers going around and talking to members of the crew or this isn't in my my notes but maybe they could have spent time dealing with the xenophobic aliens on the planet yeah and trying to convince them or trying something. to talk them out of whatever's going on yeah etc 
So again, could have been better. Uh, Archer uses some threats instead of diplomacy. What a surprise. Um, but he pushes on flocks to keep trying in this situation rather than just accept that this is an old prejudice and that there's nothing you can do about it. So even Archer's kind of a mixed in this one. So I ended up a five on the whole here. I thought this was sort of middle of the road execution, but not awful. Yeah. First I had to damn enterprise for trying to be thoughtful and scoring points (laughs) made me a little bit angry. Um, so the impact, because it means you're going to keep listening to the theme song (laughs) is what's happening. That's mainly what I'm upset about. (laughs) Uh, the impact of the story is lessened by how distant the conflict is between the two species, like how they have no contact with each other whatsoever, and it was hundreds of years ago. I think the Galorndon Core episode that'll come up in TNG will be more effective for this kind of story. Um, yeah, we'll, uh, although Worf goes wild in that one, so we'll talk about that. That'll give us something to talk about. Uh, it also could have been helped maybe by having Phlox tackle his own prejudice. Like, and he's pretty above it, but it does show that modern evolved people have to face down things that their ancestors did and all the feelings that kind of reverberate through the generations. It was a good choice to at least have Phlox's dumbass kid represent a a personal example of the hatred that um, this Mm -hmm. other guy's talking about. So that was good. Again, (laughs) I had the same thing. Nothing that happened in the caves mattered for this story it was uh, unnecessary drama to break up the flock story yep um i had it as a six uh how did you feel they did with regard to world building everything about tribbles everything was known to starfleet long before tos so thanks enterprise He's just like, oh, these are Tribbles, uh, watch out for them. They eat everything and they fucking make a ton of babies. It's like, oh, why is this all a surprise in a hundred years? Xantaris, uh, uh, the political struggle and extremists and xenophobes, etc. Antarans and Denobulans have a violent history and there's lasting enmity. Uh, Denobulan medical ethics put the wishes of the patient above uh, his or her health. This guy is pretty sure he's the first Antaran to even see a Denobulan in six generations. Yeah. These Denobulans are excellent climbers. Are all Denobulans? Was a question I had. Look, Phlox is hella weird. We've seen his weird tongue and his bad toenails, (laughs) etc. Maybe he can climb shit. Maybe he can climb shit. I don't know. It's It's a question. That serves... That literally does nothing in this story. Yeah. It's just there for Trip to go, huh. You know, I had it as a three, but I kind of wonder if it's a two. <laughs> I, th- I think it might be a two. Well, man, I gave it a two. Okay. I said, uh, Denobulans and Antarans. Denobulans seem to be good climbers. Like, I wanted to make it a three because the Denobulans, there's a Denobulan on the ship. So, like, right. Having, no, that's having, why it's a two for me. Yeah, Otherwise, this is a nothing. Like, having backstory on them seems important, but I doubt we'll ever see an Antaran again, to be honest. And I just, yeah, I think it's a two. Well, Ben gave it a four. Oh, my God, those notes came in. And he lists, in addition, actually, he doesn't list any of the things we did, but he lists uh, continuity with the Tribble. It's performing its natural function as a food animal. <laughs> and continuity with Mayweather being a climber. Which was what he did on that vacation planet where Archer fell in love. Holy shit. So, okay. That's true. 
Okay. I'd, I would love if it was explained why he was a climber. Like, he spent so much time in ships, he wanted to get out and explore, etc. Or he's comfortable in caves because he's not claustrophobic because of the ships, but they don't bother with any of that. That's true, and now that Ben has mentioned it, I remember it. I'm glad, too, because I have in my characterization notes, Mayweather, who grew up on a cargo ship, is also the climbing master on board. I didn't know. Yeah. So that, now I know. I remember now. It did come up once before. Yeah. Uh, uh, ben also gives it a four for characterization. Okay. He says, uh, Phlox does a good job of portraying and working through racial guilt. Trip is fine. Even Mayweather gives us what we're looking for here. Injured. I, I believe. can't believe Archer orders the doctor to contravene his medical ethics. Believe it. Can't you? I don't see Phlox thinks why Phlox thinks his experience with one Antaran would change his son's mind. Yeah. I guess he just wants to give it one more try. He yeah, I think he says he feels compelled to write again. He's like, I don't I, I don't know that he expects it to will change his that, mind. Like brought up the, brought all this stuff back. Right. So uh and I also gave it a four for characterization. Okay. So uh I thought Flox was was fine in this one. Mm-hmm. I thought Archer was okay. I thought the guest star was fine. Mm-hmm. But none of the cave crew were doing anything here. That is true. Like Oh, Mayweather's worried that Tripp and Reed aren't going to be able to climb now that he's got a broken ankle. Don't worry, they're not well, worried. So what? Yeah. They don't care. Yeah. yeah. And uh, to Paul and Hoshi just Little League this one. So um, just a four for me on characterization. What did you think? Uh, Hoshi didn't like the idea of feeding Trivels to that, that reptile. Why is Chief Engineer Tripp being sent into these caves? They ain't got some other security or EMTs or anything they can send? Yeah, sound chief engineer. Um, again, the Mayweather thing. Now that is cleared up for me. Flocks at first sticks to his guns about not treating somebody against their will, but doesn't he do something that the guy didn't have, didn't give him permission for? He says he's going to treat him, but I don't think he does. Okay. So again, I wasn't sure what was happening there. Like, but he he talks to him about how. He he would want his he wouldn't want his kids to see. It. I I really feel like it's just a an excuse to start talking about his kids uh, to the guy. Okay. Uh, let's see. He has to worry about racism and hatred even amongst one of his kids. I grew up with stories about how awful the Antarans are, but he seems to carry some guilt about what the Denobulans did to them centuries ago. Archer gets into it with this government as usual, but they are turds. To be fair. Um. To me, it's five. It felt average. No one was egregious. Uh, I got some. Give me them quickies. Yeah, Give some, me them quick ones. A couple of quickies. It's only ever a couple on Enterprise. <clears throat> Why has Trip been looking through Flox's medical books? Was this when he was setting up that microscope and railing the dude's wife? Because he's like, oh, I recognize this writing. It's Denobulin. I, I, I saw it in Flox's medical books. Yeah, I presume he spent more time looking at that shit with that microscope manual than... I mean, maybe Hoshi has looked into it or something. But yeah, he probably knows a little something from that when he was... He probably was desperately trying to focus on anything other than that dude's wife touching his leg. Fucking gross. Wouldn't it have been prudent to turn back around when Mayweather got hurt? Like, now they gotta find a way to get him back to the ship. Climb his broken ass all the way back, and he's yeah. There. It takes them two days to get down, but they are morally certain they can get out in two hours. That's weird too, right? And he's uh, their most experienced climber. Like I'd say, the mission's in real jeopardy at that point. 
but they just keep going. Uh, that's all I had. My quick hitters are also sparse. <laughs> ben said, why are they still docked with that dangerously leaky vessel? That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, I wrote, why does Flox know about Tribbles? Dumb. Right. Then I wrote, oh, okay, it's the enemy. Then I wrote, 17 minutes in and no reason to care what's happening in this cave. And then I wrote, directed by Tom Paris. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Yeah. Well, you know what? This one scores better than a lot of Enterprise episodes. <laughs> I gave best actor to Phlox and worst actor to Reed. Did he say lines in this one? He, I barely remember him, and that's not a good he sign. He was climbing around, but I do not remember anything he specifically said. He just made his pucker lips face, I guess, mostly. He's like, I like I like pineapple. And then that was the whole thing. <laughs> uh, next in the order yeah. is yeah. TNG. Yeah. This week's episode is Peak Performance. All right. I'm going to try to make this quick so we can get into it. <laughs> They're going to be some uh, tactical uh, exercises. They got this crazy old ship, the Hathaway, a broken down old stargazer. Uh, it has been decided that Riker is going to take all of the good crew, just all of them, all the good ones. And he's going to go over there and get that ship sort of up and running a little bit. And they're going to... I mean, sh- he left Troy behind. <laughs> yeah. That's, and Pulaski. Turns out Troy was more of a hindrance than a help. Um... <laughs> Uh, they're going to get that ship up and running and they're going to shoot some pew pew fake lasers at each other. Um, and this Zach Dorn master strategist, Cernical Rami is going to watch and I guess make notes. And, uh, I guess it's just to like do some drills. I don't know if there are stakes on this. Like if Riker does a bad job, are they going to run note that in this record and not offer him the Melbourne or something? I don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, the idea is Starfleet wants to start running some battle drills because of the bird shook about the board. Yeah. So that, at least they read that log. Picard sent that log back with the uh, death notice of the 18 with, crew. Exactly. And, and also, please send us this weird-shaped core that got cut out. Like, <laughs> We're missing this piece? Is, can you, we is gotta, there another one? He had to go to a star base to fix that, and so he had some splaining to do. Do you guys have a piece that's roughly this shape? We need to... It needs to go in there, in that hole. So, yeah, it's, uh, I guess it's supposed to be because of the Borg. Uh, this Zach Dorn master strategist is kind of an a-hole, but in a super delightful way. Marjan and I watched it together and we had a lot of fun. He's a real treat and I love that they made him kind of like a little old man. Yeah. With a high-pitched voice. It's kind of perfect. Yeah, like Worf's in the back going, that guy don't look like some kind of fucking military master. I'd kick his ass. And then Data's like, you know, it's not about appearance, bro. I I have to tell someone every week. Um, All right. So, like I said, Riker gets to pick his crew, I guess, and he picks Jordy and Worf and Wesley and some some blonde chick. She gets some lines. I don't think they say her name, but she gets lines. Some blonde chick who gets sag rates, and it's like, that seems unfair. But anyway, and they gotta, they gotta get this ship up to speed, because like I said, it's old and decrepit. So most of the episode is them trying to get the warp drive to work, and Wesley uses one of his old experiments that he was working on that has to do with antimatter or whatever um to get the warp drive working and Worf pulls some fiber optic cables out of the ceiling or whatever um back on the ship so early on Riker challenges this Zachdorn guy to a game of stratagema where you like 
you put some things on your fingers and you wiggle your fingers at each other and then the board go- turns different colors. Uh, but Riker gets his ass kicked because this guy's the best ever, apparently. Yeah, he's either a level three grandmaster or the best to ever play the game, depending on who you ask. Yep. And so, like, I don't know, is he the only level three? Or Maybe the first the in a long level? time, and they're like, well, guys are better today at it. So, you know, yeah, they're better know. than the guys 30 years ago. His ELO rating is super high. He's the <laughs> Magnus Carlson of... That's right. The... Uh, <laughs> Uh, stratagem i could i remembered the name of the chess man but i couldn't remember <laughs> yes stratagem which i wrote 15 times in this in my notes for this so i guess what the shitty b plot is is that um everyone hates this guy this sir nicole rami uh this zach dorn guy and especially Pulaski, who i think just wants to punch him but she keeps trying to get into it with him and she volunteers data for a match with the guy yeah, yeah. She's like, well, you're a stupid old robot that I hate. You should be able to beat this guy with your robot hands. I haven't taken the time to learn anything about you, but when we told the computer to beat you, it created life. <laughs> so probably you got this guy, right? <laughs> yep. So Data goes in there and he gets smoked by this old man. He loses. Oh, he makes he gets, makes three times as many moves as Riker or something. He gets the eighty three moves. The Riker has never even seen a stratagem. It is very clear. <laughs> he does. She does challenge him, and then he gets there, and he's like. Oh, what's the other one? Darts! Fuck! <laughs> I thought I was doing that one. Oh, I thought it was darts! I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> I played that one time on, uh... I mean, I'm still not a grandmaster or nothing, space but pretty... Oh. Station Earhart. I played it one time. <clears throat> um... Sorry, guys, I thought it was darts. <laughs> Sorry, Worf. Sorry about your quatloos. Uh, yeah, Worf had wagered on Riker, which seems just... Come on, Worf. Dumb! Come on. Very dumb. Come on, buddy. Uh, anyway, Data uh, gets smoked in like seven and a half seconds or something. He loses the strategy in the game. And then because he's Data of the emotions, he has a big old hissy fit and retires to his quarters and says he's never coming out, even if there's a fire. And that <laughs> he there's something wrong with him and everyone hates him anyway. And no one loves him. And Picard's not his real dad. And he's never coming out. And Troy tries to talk to him and Pulaski tries to talk to him. And then they do a thing where because they're best friends, remember? They team up and they go to Picard and they're like, only you can get him out of there. And Picard just goes into his quarters and goes, hey, shut up. And then so Data comes back out onto the bridge. That's the B plot, right? Yeah, okay. basically. And then Data shows that he is recovered by having a really dumb strategy session with Troy, which we will definitely oh. talk about. We'll talk about it for <laughs> we'll 15 minutes, I bet. About. All right, so Riker and Worf and Wesley, they've all come up with some sick-ass plans. And by Riker, I mean, Riker just watches and nods his head. Um, but Worf has got a cool strategy that he's going to use. He's going to um, make the Enterprise see a sensor ghost of another ship and think that a Romulan warbird is all up ends, all in their grill. And they'll take the advantage of that opportunity to pew-pew-pew them a few times in the butt. Yeah, Worf is counting on them not to change the security codes for the length of this tactical exercise, right? Yeah. So uh, after um, some some sick ass strategies such as the Kuma maneuver to open this this uh, this fake battle, why would he open with something so well known, man? That's right. That's because he's um, he, wants... he wants Riker to reveal his plans on his on their terms. Well, it's cool because Riker gives him the fallopian maneuver, as we know, and. <laughs> And so uh, then... I mean, Worf recommends it. Riker really... Doesn't do just, anything. Uh, just looks over at Worf, and Worf tells him which which maneuver, as you said, the fallopian maneuver, probably, <laughs> yeah. 
to counter that with and then Riker nods as he often does in a bri- briefing as if he knew what was coming <laughs> yes I, a quarter of my notes are about Riker's leadership style um yeah. so Worf uh unveils his trick and it works hella good Enterprise switches over their phasers and their shields and everything to the real ones because they think a dang old Romulan caught them with their pants down and then the Hathaway uh pew pew pews them a bunch with the fake lasers and uh, uh, Serna Kolrami's having a grand old time in the back. Oh, by the way, Kolrami's been uh, negging Riker the whole episode. I mean, to his face. He's just like, you're not, you're just a big dumb beef piece of beef. He does. He does the, the first time we see Kolrami, really, he says to, he says to Picard in front of Riker, he is still your choice. Because <laughs> he seems like a dumb old beef lord. I don't know if he, he's got it. He basically treats uh, Riker the way Riker treats Tam Elbrun. <laughs> That's right. Just hates or Rolera. Hates him right off Take the your bat. pick, yeah. right? Soon as this guy gets on the transporter pad, he sees Riker and he goes, Oh, fuck this guy. Uh, he tells Picard in the episode it's because uh, uh, it is noted in his record that he shows an undue sense of joviality about his super serious responsibilities as space lawyer or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Koromi hates this guy because he goofy. Yeah, he's a. He, Oh, Riker? He corny. Kolrami is like, um, he's like Bob Gibson. He quit the Globetrotters because he didn't like all that clowning around. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so he unveils his trick. The, the sensor goes, totally catches Picard with his pants down. Picard has to switch the phasers back over to the fake simulation lasers and drop the shields and all that stuff. And they get back into the battle. And like, mm, I don't know, like a hot 13 seconds later, uh, Ferenki Marauder pops up. Yep, and Picard's, and Picard's like, like, not this time, yeah, Worf. Fool me. You can't fool me again. And uh, But this is a real Ferengi Marauder, and he did catch them with their pants down, and he starts shooting the shit out of the Enterprise, who, we'll get into it, Picard is very quick on his feet, and gives like nine orders in a row as soon as the ship shakes the first time, including... As soon as that first fucking weapon hits, he's, he's immediately in battle mode. Yeah, and so he moves them between uh, the Ferengi and the Hathaway. Anyway, the Enterprise sustains a lot of damage, and they're sort of crippled. So they're trying to negotiate with the Ferengi, who are confused about why these two Federation ships are fighting. They think it must They're too be. crippled to fight, and they're too crippled to protect the Hathaway, but they're still capable of running away. Yes, but they're like, well, I don't know, we can't leave 40 people behind. There were 40 people on that ship? Yeah, Riker took 40 crew. I only seen five. Anyway. Um, so Look, this is his first command of a Starfleet ship. I mean, technically he commanded the um, Prang. Not the Prang. What's the one he... Paw? The Paw. Yeah. For a minute. But, like, uh, he probably didn't. He probably took, like, a whole cleaning crew. <laughs> and then they're like, well... It's gonna, it's gonna be dirty, dirty, right? I want the uh, I want the ship's botanist. What? <laughs> Did he just pick 35 other guys to deny them? To he Picard? took Ensign Davies in case they had to do an astronomical survey. <laughs> That's not part of the simulation record. No, nah, you never know. They could throw anything at us. Start? start? I mean, we're gonna be, there are going to be stars around, right? We might need to look at them. It's possible mm. for battle. Yeah. Um... Anyway, so Kolrami says, nah, just leave the 40. Like, that's an acceptable loss in this case. We need to get the Enterprise out of here. Riker agrees, but Picard ain't down with it. So they got to come up with a new plan. And the new plan is Riker reveals that he has a warp drive that he was going to sneak on Picard during the fake battle because Wesley cheated and used his, his dumb old science experiment. Yep. So they're going to use that. They're going to shoot some torpedoes at the Hathaway. And just at the moment of uh, explosion. 
uh, they're going to use that warp drive to fly out of there. The Ferengi will be confused, and then uh, Worf will come up with another sensor ghost for the Ferengis and make them think that some other shit's happening. So that's what they do. It works really good. Then the Ferengi run away because they think more Federation ships are coming. Yep. What was this great episode about? So I have two possible takes here. Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the, pick week. Of the week. I gotta make it longer. Um, Ben, uh, this is Ben's pick of the week. Uh, he gave it a seven for the take, and here's his take. It is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. This is a thing Picard says directly to Data. Yeah. Very tempting for it to be a take. Yeah. I don't think it's the take of this episode. I agree with you. Uh, He says good points for being relevant, being Star Trek at the core, slight points off for not being sci-fi specific, but it's fine. He thinks there's a man versus machine component, too, in the B plot. Passion versus logic. That is also not my take. (laughs) Uh, As I said before, I was so rudely interrupted. I have two takes for this episode. Okay, good. Number one, unorthodox strategy can make up for an inferior position. Mm -hmm. That's a six. Okay. Number two, you have to understand your opponent's intentions to defeat them. Okay. That's a six. Either way, it's a six. I'm giving it six points. I got you. You see, um, the first one is more in the A plot. The second one's more in the B plot. But they're kind of both mixed in together. This is a real Art of War episode. You are not wrong, and get out of my notes. Get out. <laughs> Just get out of there. Get the fuck out. Get out! So I, I see that you're in them right six. now. I can see it on Google. Get out. <laughs> what do you have? In any contest of strategy, disguising your capabilities and objectives is the surest key to victory. Um, there may have been something in there about what makes a good leader or about how you can make no mistakes and still lose, but I couldn't follow those threads through to any real conclusion. This take was great when Sun Tzu said it thousands of years ago. Exactly. It is a value for anyone who needs a strategic step up over their competition, but it's also the kind of thing that doesn't really need to be said. It's obvious as a military axiom, but really in any competitive situation, it's what everybody does without even thinking about it. Uh, It's a five. It's a five for me. Um... (laughs) The thing about it's possible to make no mistakes and still lose. Yeah. Uh, it's the best part of the episode, probably. Yeah. That speech that Picard gives to Data. Mm. It sounds like it's the take. It's not what happens in this episode. Mm. Like, the thing with the Ferengi is a mistake. It definitely is a big old mistake. <laughs> it's a mistake for sure, right? Yep. Um, And... They also don't lose. They don't really have to... They don't confront a no-win situation in this. It's kind of... Um, no, they don't play it perfect. And by the way, neither did Data. Data lost no. at Stratagema by, like, millions of points. He did real bad. Only a dummy would lose by millions of points and go, nah, I did everything right. Like, in a football <laughs> no, game... I made no mistakes. <laughs> like, if you lose to Alabama 49 nothing. It's like oh, you, I'm so glad you've introduced the idea of football because I want to talk about it forever you, later. Because you could go, you could go. Oh, well, they're Alabama. I didn't do anything wrong. But like, bro, you lost forty nine to nothing. Like you did something wrong. You did everything wrong. Every play yeah. you called was bad. 
do something better next time. You didn't call any plays that allowed you to beat Alabama, and that was what you had to do. <laughs> That's right. So every time they said that in the episode, every time Data was like, I didn't make any mistakes. I was like, oh, no, bro, go back and look. You did. You did. You, move the, your, one of those moves you did was the wrong move, your, and it allowed you to get beaten 158 to 83 or whatever. When you moved your fingers, you, he, he got more territory on the map. So. Yeah, that did. You did bad and wrong. Yeah. Uh, ben gives it a six for execution. Okay. He says this was aired at a time when computers were only capable of deductive logic rather than inductive reasoning. It takes a little punch out of the premise before Big Blue, etc. The A and B plots mesh together well enough that they don't seem separate. This is actually a pretty good episode, despite the fact that I don't remember it much. Oh, he doesn't remember. I agree this with one? that last part, although I remember it. I remember every part of it well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And yes, I, I also agreed it was a good one. Um, I wonder if I view this episode any differently because a computer couldn't beat a chess player in 1990 when this aired, and a computer can beat uh, even a Go player now. Yeah. Uh, is it my execution? Yeah. What did you think for execution? Okay, so this episode is pure fun. Um. Everyone's all excited about the battle simulation. You get to see all the cool tricks they're going to play and everything like that. You got this fun Zach Dorn weirdo in the back. Okay. Everybody credits Riker with his brilliant command of the Hathaway when yeah. all he did was take every crew member worth anything and then watch them come up with all the winning strategies. Between Worf and Wesley, that's the whole game. Like, even Jordy, he, like, fixes the stuff, but he doesn't come up with any of the cool strategies. Let me... I don't... I haven't... If you have said your score, I haven't written it down yet. But let me make a counterpoint here. The purpose of this war game is to prepare for the Borg. Sure. That's why it's okay that the Hathaway is so outgunned. Right. It's also why it's okay that Riker took all the best crew. Because they definitely are making the assumption that they'll be smart. This but... contest is going to be a few smart people against a ton of drones. Right. Yeah. So I think it's in keeping with the exercise. And that's fine. I just don't think Riker did anything. Well, he didn't do much, did he? So uh, by the way, you descri- uh you took a little shortcut here. Riker's plan was not to do this torpedo thing. No. Riker's plan was to use his two seconds of warp drive to get away from the Ferengi when the Enterprise left and then take his chances from there on out. That's right. I'm going to warp away for a minute and then go, <laughs> Picard's plan was to pretend to destroy the Hathaway because it was what the Ferengi valued. Yes. Or the Ferengi thought it was valuable and that could diffuse the situation. Right. So you're right. He didn't do much. Yeah. Lots of good small touches that happens a lot in uh, TNG. Lots of bad line readings. Great villain in Cernical Rami. A very uneven Ferengi appearance. Just a real yeah. sloppy mixed bag of nonsense that I award five points, but thoroughly enjoyed. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, a couple of things diminished this one for me. Worf being able to trick the Ferengi at the mm. end is weird. Yeah, I have that. And it also makes it sort of unnecessary to do the fake explosion. Yeah, he just did the sensor bit. Also, it's unclear why Data is able to predict Kolrami's moves well enough to tie him, but not well enough to win against him. <laughs> this is confusing. Seems like basically the same 
predictive capability, right? Yeah, it was like a neat little line to write down, but I don't think they expected anyone to think more about it than what is on the face right. of it. Then there's the Data Troy scene that we're going to talk about forever. Big detractor <laughs> for the episode for me. However, mostly reasonably solid. I also like it. I give it five points. Yeah, uh, I do have the, in my thinking my quick hitters. Hey, Worf specifically said he needed the codes to trick Enterprise. Yeah. Did he get the Ferengi codes or does he not need the codes for the Ferengi? What's the explanation? That's a good question. Yeah. Huh? Anyway. As if the Ferengi of all people wouldn't practice information security. Yeah, exactly right. They've already been told a million times that they are technologically equal to the Federation and everything. It's just like, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Ben's a five on world building. That's a lot. Federation war games. Sure. Combat skills considered a minor part of a starship captain's qualifications. The Kuma maneuver. Yeah. In other words, there's a whole playbook <laughs> of says, tactics. He called it the Chalupa maneuver. <laughs> <laughs> I've already forgotten what you said it was. Fallopian maneuver. The fallopian maneuver. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Do you um, want to know what it really was? Yeah, sure. Uh, the one uh, P- Picard starts with the Kuma maneuver, and then they come back with the Talupian maneuver. Talupian maneuver. You're well. We you were actually. Halfway. It does kind of split the difference between Chalupa and fallopian, <laughs> we, doesn't it? We were halfway on that one. Um, I only gave it a four though for world building. Okay. So I wrote modified pulse lasers, etc. Uh, the crew gambles. There's a ship's pool. Yeah. I mean, how does that work? We saw that. What does that mean? We saw that when uh, Yar was going to go and yes. do some fucking martial arts on some of Starbase or whatever. Uh, the Constellation class ship we see hmm. is said to be 80 years old. That puts it at the age of the movies, the movie Enterprise, movie Excelsior, right? So, like. Because that's why it looks sort of. That's similar. why it looks. The, the, what's why it uses the same nacelles as the Miranda, right? Just four of them. Yeah. Grantham and Waterhoppers. <laughs> that's the Star Wars thing, right? I think so. Uh, that's a wild scene because Wrecker's like, and if the warp drive doesn't work, and Jordy's like, have you ever driven a Grantham and Waterhopper? I mean, and me. Wrecker's like, sure. <laughs> He's like, a hundred times. What are these things that, that Jordy's like, this guy's done one of these. He's been on this crazy thing. I want to see that crazy thing. Again, they are good friends back from the days of the hood. Hood? something like that uh but i i can do it but the man you want is commander Riker. he will say later <laughs> yeah but the way he says it well you ever driven a grantham and water hopper was just so star wars i just went yeah. oh no that's yeah, jargon well, just, grantham and water hoppers are the ship that did the kessel run in 12 parsecs <laughs> less than 12 parsecs under 12 parsecs i don't remember who cares uh, various maneuvers and postures and attitudes is what I wrote for all of that. Okay. Starfleet is taking the Borg threat seriously. Avidine engines, dilithium shards, etc. Honestly, it's the Borg thing, the world building of the all of the standard tactical playbook that we will never see used. Mm-hmm. Uh, the age of the constellation, class of ships, yeah. etc. So it's just a four, not major world building here, but more than they sometimes do yeah i also had it as a four uh the brass lotus system zach dorn master strategist cernical rami all the reputation of the zach dorn race or species uh the hathaway um weapon simulations and war games board continuity old avidine engines you already said that wesley is in a plasma physics class who's teaching that on the enterprise is it like a is it one of them internet classes 
Or is Keiko the teacher on Enterprise? It's in the holodeck, right? It's probably taught by Einstein. Probably Einstein, I assume. Worf's Klingon Guile, the Grantham Waterhopper, stalling the Hathaway. Tholian vessels have a sensory blind spot. Uh, Kuma and Tolupian maneuvers, which appear to mean, as in all Star Trek cases, veering in one direction to one or the other very quickly. Or sometimes Do you think slowly. this episode was written by someone who likes chess, by the way? Because it's like, why is he running a standard opening? Uh, exactly. And with the strategy. And then also strategy. Yeah. Picard <clears throat> does at least present uh, insist on presenting minimum aspect, which is interesting. Uh, can you do... Which is, by the way, the normal way the ship looks, right? It does look... Straight on is the minimum aspect for that ship, so, isn't it? Yeah, it basically saying, go right at him. Can you do evasive at warp three? He orders warp three evasive. Uh, I will say that in when they're running the playbook, he does tell them to go to warp one. Mm-hmm. So clearly in the standard star fighting playbook that the Federation runs, some of it is done at warp speed. And in TOS, I think we've only seen the Enterprise fight at warp speed. So why are they still at that planet that they're around? So, well, because the every Hathaway shot can't go to warp. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So where did they warp? They just warped away from the Hathaway? Then what, did they uh, yeah. warp back? What was the plan? Right? Was he going to do it? Was he going to Picard maneuver them and then go? <laughs> you guys are idiots. We already worked out a plan for this, but I guess only Data knows how to do it. So you guys are hella dumb. It's named after me. You should have known I'd do it. Um, do you think he's going to open with the Picard maneuver? Kuma uh, maneuver. Tricky. That is tricky. Picard notifies Starfleet priority when the Ferengi ship shows up. So that's yep. interesting. They almost never talk to Starfleet. No, that's a very Kirk move. Kirk would have fired off the fucking yeah, uh, the record recorder or whatever. He would have he would have released the pod. Yeah, he he would have jettisoned the pod. He would have hit the jettison pod button for sure. He even would though have it was waited. only yellow alert. He would have waited for yellow alert. Then he would have jettisoned the pod. Um, Frankie Marauder creaked. Uh, didn't Worf need the codes for the Enterprise to make the sensor tricks happen? How does he do it to the Ferengi? That yeah. was... I actually had another five that brought it down to a four. I, like- I have a thought. I mean, I have a I have a theory in theory corner as to how he was able to do that, but I don't like it. I welcome theory corner in all cases. Okay. Um, before I do characterization, we can do Ben's honorable mention goes to Armin Shimmerman as Damon Brachdor. Of course, as soon as he opened his mouth, we all realized who that was. His second performance as a Ferengi, and then he just says everyone was very much themselves in it. It's in a good way, but it uh, he gave it a five. Um. I agreed it was a five. So in the beginning, again, these are always taken in chronological order. What were Picard's misgivings about taking part in a war game exercise? Oh, that's right. Famously, it's because... Starfleet is not a military organization. Star- military organization. That's right. And that's what Marjan has always said to me, that Starfleet's not a military organization. It didn't make sense then. It doesn't make sense now, but that's fine. Uh, Picard hates Kolrami. He hates that this guy hates Riker, whom he claims is the finest officer with whom he's ever served. Picard. Well, it wasn't Vigo. <laughs> it certainly was not Vigo, who I assume was Jack Crusher. Ended up a charred mess. He's so good. Why is he dead? Yeah. Uh, Picard hates statistics, which I assume <laughs> means sabermetrics, analytics. He's all about what his eyes tell him. He hates Vorp. Um. <laughs> He claims he didn't want to do this military exercise, but he... Uh, by the way, by the way, that makes perfect sense for old guard, boys will be boys connected Picard. Oh, yeah. Analytics, he hates it. He's like, yeah. I care about batting average and RBI. 
he oh he definitely is a scout who's like uh well why is he not dating a why is his wife not pretty <laughs> that's right exactly that means something to me he claims he didn't want to do this military exercise but he's grinning a mile wide when this thing gets started he is so pumped to do this thing with Riker. he really and he doesn't care about winning this at all no. he really enjoys uh colt rami uh eating his words as Riker opens with something funny yeah yeah oh picard the whole way is like come on Riker, come on Riker, please do a good job uh, if if picard wanted to win this why has he got ensign burke at the tactical <laughs> there's got to be where's Diedrich bader from last week <laughs> ensign redhead who's appeared in every tv show marjan calls him aaron because he was in um uh, 20 oh 24 again he was in 24 as uh, some secret service guy um picard as i pointed out earlier should get an insane amount of credit the instant the ship shakes he realizes the ferengi ship is real gives a long series of orders without hesitation but how did they get so close without anybody detecting them well they were coming in at, you know this is exactly right they were coming in at warp five now was it last week? Which ship was it last week that zoomed in on something three light years away? <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. That's Put it on screen? Zoom in. <laughs> I think it was Voyager. Voyager. Okay. It's a science ship. Maybe it's different. Yeah. They scanned everything within yeah. three parsecs or something yeah. before they started this whole thing. But then I guess they stopped scanning for 48 hours and the Ferengi got real close. They got super close because they come in 10 seconds after that Warbird. And yeah. they are a surprise. Um, Worf is racist and Data tells him all about it. Yep. Worf is easily distracted and because he's an animal, he can't build model ships. <laughs> he's all... By the way, he wasn't doing a good job on that model ship he wasn't. before Riker rang the doorbell. I desperately searched for about 20 minutes for a gif of that of him brushing everything <laughs> into the drawer brushing it into the because drawer. it is perfect meme material of just going <laughs> well, this was all a gift. waste i don't know why it's not gift i looked all over i could not find it i found a lot of this is a ones. minor episode the thing everybody remembers from this episode is it's it's possible to commit no mistakes and still lose yeah. nobody remembers Riker opening a drawer and brushing his busted yeah. model into it Worf uh, has a lot of gifts out there but that was not one of them that made me upset um God, that should be a gif i wish i knew how to do that or cared he's also easily fooled into joining Riker's crew with one of these eh we can't win anyway gambits by Riker. instantly Worf's like well I, well I don't know oh yeah <laughs> Riker manipulates him easily um again why did he bet on Riker? Worf believes geordie should be first officer based on rank alone um and him pulling the cables out of the ceiling is always a fun scene when the lady's like, yes. yeah, but where am I going to find the cable? Where am I going to get the optic cable? And he just looks around and pulls down a bundle and goes, anywhere. <laughs> As if he hadn't handed her enough already. <laughs> That's right. It was a real, you'd be standing in the fire moment for me. Yeah. Uh, Riker also believes that combat skills are only a part of what makes up a Starfleet captain. Because he thinks Picard probably believes it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was clearly to impress the other guy in the room. Riker, watching him do Stratagema, clearly a button masher. He didn't, like, know what he was doing in Strategy, but he just nah. moved his fingers around real wild. That's why he always plays Chun-Li in Strategy. That's right. He's a cheap motherfucker. Uh, again, he doesn't really come up with plans. He watches other people strategize and then shows his approval. Um, Pulaski, I think, wanted to fight Kolrami. 
she was always suggesting that somebody needed to take him down a peg or mess him up or bust him up. Yeah. And then she just tells Kolrami that Data said he'd whip his ass with one hand tied behind his back. So she was she had a problem with that guy. She's probably been drinking again. Uh, I assume she has. Jordan, We're almost done with her. Yeah, we are very close. <laughs> Jordy and Riker have lots of friendly banter because of their old friendship that we were told about. Um, we never see them hanging out except at poker, but we were told. Wesley gets caught doing a whoopsie on the intercom with Riker. Yep. Uh, but he makes... Well, Wesley has been on the bridge many times when people just openly sass, so he probably thinks it's pretty cool. He's probably was surprised Riker said anything about it. <laughs> yeah. He makes it up to him by cheating. Uh, then he's so desperate for Riker's approval, and when he gets it, I think he almost asked if Riker would be his new dad. I think so, too. <laughs> Uh, Data has a crisis of confidence because he's an emotionless android. Only a real dummy would lose by a million points and say he made no mistakes. Mostly good, but Animal Wharf and regular Data keep it at five. Well, I'm going to round it out. I also gave it five. Okay. Uh, Picard, Riker, Wharf, and Geordi are all pretty much where you want them in this one. Mm. I liked the Geordi, Riker, Walk and Talk. Uh, when Riker, when he, when Jordy asked if he had any chance, and Riker goes, "Nah, <laughs> that's right." I liked that. Small that touches. was a good moment. Yeah. Yep. Um, Troy and Data <laughs> and Pulaski not so compelling in this one. It was a mixed bag across the board. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm a five. Okay. You covered most of what I was interested in in this one. Like even the parts where I liked Worf, he was still Animal Worf for part of this episode. And every time that happens, I go, why'd they do that to him? He was like a warrior poet in season one. I know. Uh, let's just jump right into quick hitters. Do it. Worf, um, Worf blind to some bigotry of his own here, huh? Yeah. Right at the beginning. Yeah, they, that, that guy don't look like no warrior. However, did you catch how long Data said it had been since anyone had challenged the Zakdord? Uh How long did he say? Oh, he said nine millennia. That's a lot. 9,000 years. So, although I wrote about Worf that he said, what have they done for me lately? <laughs> yeah. 9,000 years is kind of a long time, huh? Yeah. And the data said that that proved his point. He's like, exactly. Yeah. Uh, in that scene, by the way, data looks like he has a blown pupil. He had a full-on stroke. <laughs> All those yellow uh, yellow contacts are starting to do them in. Yeah, one of them is way bigger than the other, so mm, whatever. Hey, what happened to the Hathaway? <laughs> Has it just been floating here in space for years and years? Like, the ship is 80 years old. That doesn't mean it's been there for 80 years. But what did happen, though? You know, I don't think the uh, Starfleet is very good at cleaning up its messes. Because this fucking stargazer just floating around out there. It's just like how, well, there's all kinds of battleships and shit from World War II at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, it sucks at the bottom of the ocean. That's right. No one's cleaning that up. It sucks down there. But this space is just like all the other space. You can get out there. This ship was in orbit around a planet. Yeah. Get it out of there. I agree. Why did Worf bet on Riker? Yes, why? Is it because he doesn't think that Kolrami can fight Skeletors in the holodeck? <laughs> I think you're right. All that stuff he talked about on the bridge was in influencing his betting uh, strategy, yeah. which was not good. Yeah. Also, not cool to tell Riker, I have wagered on you heavily in the ship's pool. <laughs> and that he would be disappointed. And that if you lose, I will be irritated. irritated. That's right. 
Uh, when Kolrami wins against Riker and Pulaski says that's it or something, he gives a little hiss like a weird snake Kohlrabi. and I love it. Kohlrabi's great. Kohlrabi hisses at like what? What, what that, was that a weird actor choice? Because if so, great. I think it was. I think that actor did an outstanding job. <clears throat> we get a look at the back of the Hathaway. What's all that junk on the back of the Hathaway? Was it sensor pods? No, I mean, it's like, it's just a bunch of pipes and shit. <laughs> and I like when I can tell what the things are supposed to be on a ship and not just a bunch of little pipes. That's not, like, the Enterprise, the original Enterprise, doesn't have a bunch of pipes on it. Yeah. Picard's oh, Enterprise, right. not covered in pipes. Yeah, I just pulled up the picture. To me, it looks like some kind of module. Is that the impulse engines? I, I don't see any other. I didn't see any other impulse engines, so if not, then what? But, like, hmm. what is that stuff? Yeah, it's not great. Are all the models like that? Are all the uh, Constellation models like that? I don't know. I don't hmm. know if we see the Stargazer from behind at all. Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't know if we're going to see any more, unless it's at Wolf 359. Right. It's not a great ship. It's like, why are those nacelles on sideways? Yeah. <laughs> that's, they work better that way. You didn't know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a le- it's definitely a lesser design. It looks like a kit bash, right? Yes. Um, Burke. Mm-hmm. Really fucks the dog on this one, huh? They send him down with Wesley. <clears throat> Kolrami says, yeah, Wesley can come back on board to do with his science shit, but he has to be escorted and he can't touch anything but his research. Mm-hmm. Picard sends Burke down there with him. Burke is so bored after 90 seconds that he doesn't that he doesn't notice that Wesley beams it aboard the Hathaway. And Wesley's not being cool about it. No. Nope. Wesley's doing that thing where he talks way too much. Yeah, giving the whole game away with his weird behavior. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, this is ruined. My experiment that I care so much about. Oh boy, I don't know what I'm gonna. I'm just, I better dispose of it. It's ve- it's very dangerous. This is the point in in the episode, Matt, where I want to talk about the briefing room. Okay, scene. please do. Yeah, let's get started. Picard tells Data to snap out of it. Tells him that thing about making no mistakes and still losing, right. and tells him he needs him to come up with a strategy for fighting Commander Riker in like an hour. Right. Smash cut two. Data in conference room with Troy. Okay. Data tells Troy, I've analyzed uh, Riker's record, and I've noticed some shit. I love it when these two get together. Number one, in an academy exercise, he hid in a Tholian blind spot. Mm -hmm. He hid from their sensors. Number two, on board the Potemkin, Mm. He hung the ship above the planet's magnetic pole, hiding from the enemy's sensors. This is correct. Troy says, synthesize. <laughs> one. And I think, Data, by the way, I think she was trying to make Data feel good, like, I'm going to let him carry this one through to the end. And Data says, in only 21% of cases does he follow conventional tactics. <laughs> then they do some real bullshit about but he knows that we know that he know and they end with a very self-satisfied data saying he'll be the man he he was meant he'll be the man that he is at the end he's gonna do the thing that makes him the man that he is Troy hand-holding him to the to the to that conclusion (laughs) yeah 
He gave two examples. Yeah, they were both about sensors. About doing a sensor trick. Right. Synthesize. No one can know what he will do. I know. But it'll be weird. (laughs) It's going to be weird, whatever it is. Again, I thought she was going to lead him to saying... Uh, Bitch, he's gonna yeah, do he's sensors. gonna do sensor stuff, and then she, he's gonna do sensor, and then she was gonna make him feel real good and go, "Well, see, you're not so broken after all." But no, she she led him to a completely different conclusion. She's like, "So he only does it in twenty one percent of cases. What does that mean?" And they go through the whole he knows what he knows we know thing, and then she's like, "No, you're you're getting too complicated. What do we know about him? That he's a trickster, yeah, and." That no matter what happens, he'll only be the man that he was meant to be. And then she's like, yeah. <laughs> What's the first thing he does, Matt? Sensors! <laughs> and he uses a sensor trick on him as soon as they finish the Chalupa maneuver. This is like... This is like... Yeah. <laughs> you're meeting with your scout. Uh-huh. To talk about your upcoming game against Alabama. Oh, good. Okay, good. Let's keep this going. And he shows you two plays. And the first play, he says, now normally, it's third and four. Normally, you're going to see a slant here. Mm-hmm. He ran it up the gut. Mm-hmm. Second play. It's third and four. Mm-hmm. Ordinarily, slant. Yeah, what did he do, though? Ran it right up the gut. Sure. Okay, so what do we do with this information? Ah, you just can't tell. No way to know. <laughs> He's just unpredictable. It's the bottom just unpredictable. line. Yeah. Well, it's just like a fucking <laughs> unpredictable. That's how you lose 49 nothing, and then you complain you didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> Data we know is a wreck. Data's a garbage wreck. Yeah, he's really not a good device. He did he did such a bad job on this analysis that I now believe something is wrong with it. Data is the Zune of Androids, right? <laughs> yes. He's not like the good version. He's not like an iPod. He's not even a Zune, he's a creative Zen. <laughs> uh, the Hey, the Creative Zen so was cool. My... You could like it had options to speed up and slow down the tracks and cool stuff like that on it. Yeah, that's true. That is all true. My uh, theory corner explanation for this is that Troy goes in there and she's like, okay, Data's going to have all the science stuff covered. Yeah. Data's going to have all the technical stuff covered. But you know what he doesn't know about? Emotions and the human condition. Mm -hmm. That's where Troy's going to shine. And she just didn't listen at all to that shit. (laughs) He said sensors. Then he said sensors again. And then he started in and she got pulled in when he's like, but he'll know that we know. Yeah. And she's like, ah, all right. This is my opportunity to say it's not going to be tricky. He's going to be the man. And she, and at no point was she like, wait, did you say sensors twice? That's right. If it had been good writing, she would have started her stupid spiel and gone, wait, hold on a second. What did you say in the beginning? Let's go back to that. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Back up to the, your two, two and only two examples? <laughs> this is the worst pairing on the ship. I love when they get together. It makes me so happy. Well, uh. The last time I watched Darmok, I got so mad. I think that's why we started doing this project. It's definitely one of the reasons. Because I'm not... Did you make it all the way through that run? Yes. Okay. No. I did not. Okay. I mean, I, I have like f- five episodes to go. Right. I didn't make it to all good things, to but him, I made it as far as masks. You'll get to them in several years. I might have made it to Dark Page. Mm. Um, yes. I got so mad at that Darmok briefing. When they get together and they're like, we're making some progress here. Where the computer, uh, 
finds out about Darmok and it finds out about Tanagra yeah. and they stop asking further questions and they go to Riker and they say, Better shoot can't it. be done. Just shoot him. Can't be done. We're going to have to shoot him with phasers. <laughs> it is insane. They're not a good, they should not work together ever, but I like it when they do. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, then I wrote, all right, this is Quark. How on earth does Worf trick the Ferengi sensors? Theory corner. Mm, okay. The Ferengi bought off-the-shelf components, and the password is still set to admin. There you go. That's how he got in. He used the same IP address that you always have to to get into your router. <laughs> they went cheap on sensors. Sensors are not their deal. <laughs> yeah. I give best actor to Riker and worst actor to Wesley. This is actor, not character. Right. Uh, Ben's quick hitters. Weird thing to notice. When Jordy and Riker are doing their walk and talk, they head down the left branch of the T intersection of corridors, but it's an unusually large intersection with like a lobby set up with tables and chairs and a generic painting. It's like a little side lounge. Well, that's nice. That's the main engineering set, but they redress it sometimes. Uh, but you rarely see it as anything else. But that's where that big table is. They wanted to show us a bit of the show. Yeah. And then he has a new theory on data. So this is Theory Corner. Okay. He is in search of approval from others, in particular his superior officers. He was abandoned without any guidance. He tries so hard to please. He's got daddy issues. <laughs> he definitely does. That's how they know that sending Picard will will finish the job on him. I mean, he has like three personal possessions, and one of them is a book that Picard gave him. Yeah. Yeah. That's good Theory Corner. I know you got quick hitters too, though. Oh, for sure. By the way, so what Worf did was he typed in 192.168.1.1. Yes. And then he typed admin. Password admin. (laughs) Username admin, password admin. Uh, Okay. And then it was all like, welcome to the Kritach. (laughs) Again, I like Cerna Korami just looking at Beef Lord Riker and going, nah, though. This this one's an oaf. Uh... And again, Worf brushing all that broken ship into a drawer was fantastic. Um, so, by the way, a good another good meme would be the scene where they are having people put the finger things on for them. <laughs> and they're just staring at each other. Riker? Um, oh, yeah. The meme for that would be like, me when something, something, something. Yeah, that's right. And he's looking all intense yeah. as someone puts these silly little finger things on him. Um, <clears throat> um, again, Marjan and I agree that we love Kolrami very much and we wish he was a main character. That he just joined the crew. And was there for the to the end of time as their strategic operations officer or something. Yeah, I've been thinking since I watched this episode, who does that guy remind me of? Who does he remind me of? I think it's just Cerna Colrami. <laughs> that's it. I think I just saw this episode so long ago and it made such an impression that that's who that reminds me of. He's deep in your bones now. Um, Colrami says that Wesley is just an uncommissioned child. You know, as opposed to all those child captains and lieutenant commanders out there. That's right. <laughs> Uh, this, I didn't know why he took him with him anyway, uncommissioned child. This redhead who has appeared in every TV show ever does not care at all about Wesley's shit. Doesn't even pretend to care. Yeah, not okay. good at his job. Yeah, Let's all right. just say that. Okay, can we just move it along? Okay. Yeah, all right. Hey, uh, we about done here. I gotta go back up to the bridge and stand there and not do anything. Again, I assume notes were taken on everybody's performance during this drill. And that guy yeah. is never going to be promoted. They got transferred. Never yeah. will be promoted. Uh, again, who is the broad that Riker brought on board? He didn't even seem to notice she was there. She just tried to butt into their conversation. <laughs> kind of. And he didn't even look at her. One of Picard's saboteurs, maybe? 
did Picard put a plant on board? Because Riker would never remember um, who he took. Um, Just beam over there. He won't smart. know. He'll think he took you. If he gets suspicious, unzip your top a little bit. <laughs> That's right. Not a lot, a little. Just a little. They don't unzip that far anyway. Just unzip a little. Uh, Achilles in his tent is another saying that must gain popularity sometime after the 21st century. Sulking like Achilles in his tent? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, but of course, Riker is a devotee of Sun Tzu, etc., so he didn't turn around and go, what? What are you talking about? What tent? Who's Achilles? What tent, though? Um, My ankle? When Picard says Data is not capable of the emotions Troy and Pulaski have assigned him, why doesn't one of them ask, have you met Data? <laughs> he is very much capable of that. Uh, Armin Shimmerman appearance as Braktor, twin brother of Traktor. Um, I I thought Armin Shimmerman was pretty good as Braktor, but the other guy who I This makes no sense to us. <laughs> leader, leader. <laughs> You call him leader? He was a real Menghuo bad news. I did. How often in your life as an actor do you get to deliver the line, I am Braktor, Daemon of the Ferengi. <laughs> he went for it, too. He's a good actor. Um, Hey, if Worf was, say, Chinese, would Riker have proudly proclaimed that it was Chinese trickery? Oh, yeah, probably. He probably wouldn't, right? Got Klingon guile. Just... I mean, I thought of it. I mean, it might not be it's not necessarily Klingon stuff. I didn't stuff. read it Jesus. on Klingon Wikipedia this time. I mean, I, I came up with it. No, it's not really our style. We're more idiots like Cargon. You remember Cargon, <laughs> the idiot? You served on a whole ship full of Klingons. Was there a lot of guile? Um... I know you had that great scene where the Klyak's dad waits for death, but... <laughs> God, that was a great that scene. That was so good. Hey, uh, they did not trust the audience. Data says, Serna Korami was expecting Data to play for the win, and Wesley proudly exclaims, You did? I simply altered my premise for playing the game. Explain. Working under the assumption that Korami was attempting to win, it is reasonable to assume that he expected me to play for the same goal. You didn't. No. <laughs> okay. He's so satisfied. Right. That's very stupid. But I want you to listen to how fast Riker Peppers in explain here. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna play it one more time. I simply altered my premise for playing the game. Explain. <laughs> Working under the assumption that Cole Rami was attempting to win, it is reasonable to assume that he expected me to play for the same goal. You didn't. No. <laughs> Dude, it is a there, it's a bad one act play. There's a third guy who I think is an extra who starts that scene by saying, How'd you do it? And then Data says that, and Riker's, explain! And, and <laughs> it is a very bad play. You didn't. It's like, you oh, didn't. good lord. Yeah, like I said in my execution, many very <laughs> bad line readings in this episode. Uh, that's all I had. Was there any other clips you wanted to play from this? Oh, I did get this one you wanted. Okay, um, thank you. Let's do this one. And we'll experience actual battle conditions. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> battle conditions. <laughs> actual battle conditions. <laughs> I do love that. I just get a little, just get a little bit of that Cerno Kalrami okay, voice okay, too. Okay. And we'll experience actual battle conditions. Correct. Correct. <laughs> I love that guy. Villainous. Yep. All right. Well, that was good. Good job, everybody. Yeah. Um. Uh, last week's winner was Deep Space Nine. Okay. This week, uh, we watched The Search Part One.
picking up right after the events of the Gem Hadar, but not like so right after that everybody couldn't go get a new haircut and new uniforms <laughs> and stuff. Uh, the crew is sitting around ops. Still, I guess this is what they do all day every day now, just trying to figure out what they could do if the Dominion came through the wormhole. How would they fight them? And they're throwing around suggestions, including just straight taking that wormhole down or whatever. When they're uh, having their little bitch sesh about the Dominion, suddenly they start detecting some freaky old signals next to the station. And they suspect it might even be a cloaked ship. Yeah. Which seems to indicate cloaks aren't very good. Because it seems like now, by this point, everyone's like, oh, you got some weird readings? It's a cloaked ship. Yeah. I mean, it could be. But also, I think it was like 300 meters away, yeah, which the, is real close. He got close again. So it got pretty close before they picked it up. Uh, it's Cisco. He uncloaks in a Federation starship that no one's ever seen before. And it's got a weird old cloaking device on it, which they're not allowed to have. So that's weird. And he says uh, it's a new toy that he's brought for the Dominion go to credits. And they get back from the credits and he's explaining that this is a, a special ship that was originally designed to fight the Borg. And then when that threat lessened, which I feel like they missed the point of the Borg. <laughs> I mean, it only takes one ship to like mess up their whole fleet. Yeah. This, it'll, and well, they'll never send two. So like, I mean, we're cool. I feel like they, that threat didn't lessen. Anyway. Uh, they shelved it. Plus, the thing had some problems during its shakedown cruise because it was just too overpowered. Anyway, they're gonna take it into they're gonna take it into the Gamma Quadrant because Starfleet's great plan is to go and find the founders and have a real good chat with them and just say, "No, we we're cool though, right? We forgive you for blowing you blew up, up a whole galaxy class starship <laughs> last week, but we're We forgive cool. you for blowing up all those ships and that colony and our galaxy class starship and kidnapping us and threatening to eliminate us and all that. So, we're good to go, right? But again, some real cowboy diplomacy in the Star Trek way. We going to yep. invade your space to go talk to your leaders. Anyway, they could just send a fucking message through. I mean, mm-hmm. A probe. <sighs> but they're like, oh, no, we won't be able to talk to the founders. Probably, I don't know. So we have to go and find them ourselves. Anyway, there's like a Romulan lady who's played by Fresca. Um, yeah. And she she's there to, like, I guess, monitor the cloak and make sure that they don't take it apart, maybe. She's also seems to kind of later be the chief engineer of the Defiant. I think it might have some... Oh, we'll get into it. I think it has something to do with what how the cloaking device is powered and how it fits into the systems. Cause she monitors yeah. the warp engines and the cloaking device. Well, it also has something to do with the fact that they thought this was going to be a regular character. And then they didn't think that immediately. Yeah, but that's okay. They put her on the other show anyway. So they're, f- they fly straight into the gamma quadrant on this dang old defiant. The, the name of the ship's the defiant. And, um, Oh, also there's a new security guy. His name's Eddington. He's from Starfleet, and he's going to basically replace Odo. All things that are like Bajoran matters, Odo can still handle, but everything that's Starfleet security related will go through Eddington. So Odo's like, well, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. Yep. I don't, I don't want to work for you anymore. Uh, but Kira convinces him to come along on this mission to, uh, <clears throat> you know, in case things get hot, to have a have a Odo around. They're going to take all adults on this mission. That's right. They leave exactly two adults the, whose names we know behind. That's Garrick and Rom. 
That's right. Everyone else in the entire I guess show. Keiko. Empress Keiko. Everybody else in the show gets to come along. Um, so they're zipping around there, cloaked, and they run into some Jem'Hadars, and they do a little submarine scene where they are trying not to be detected. And they get away from them, and they come across a relay station. And they're going to use this relay station to... Oh, did they get the relay station from the Karama guy? Yeah, they go to the okay. Karama guy. Okay, so Quark is along. Uh, Quark is along because he has trade dealings with the Dominion. Yeah, Cisco makes Quark come along t- so they can use his contacts to try and find the founders. And he doesn't know about the founders, but he knows about the Vorta. Yeah, 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 the, yeah. They send when they want to talk to the Vorta, they send messages to this relay station. Cisco does a thing where he clearly, I believe, replicates uh, a staff that looks like the Grand Nagus' staff. Well, hey, we know Federation replicators can make it. That's right. And he's like, oh, the Grand Nagus said you have to come along. So Quark comes along. Uh, and so they run to this Karama guy because they've been trading tulip berries or whatever. And the, yeah, and the guy's like, oh, you got we just send messages to this relay station. So go there. Um, but also on the map where he's showing them the relay station is the Omarian Nebula, which yeah. gives Odo. Um, he's hard. Makes him real hard for this nebula. He wants to go to the nebula. He wants to learn about it. He wants to know the nebula's name, which is a good reaction to have to a nebula. And um, so they go to this relay station, and they're going to figure out where all the messages go so they can find the find the founders. But whoops, more Jem'Hadar came. More of those bug ships came. And they start shooting up the Defiant, because I guess they learned during the first encounter where they ran into him cloaked how to detect a cloaked ship. That was quick. So they shoot the shit out of the Defiant, and um, they got to leave those old boys on that uh, on that relay station. And what whatever will we do without oh. Dax and Powerplay O'Brien? <laughs> Dax and Powerplay O'Brien are left behind, and then the the ship gets all blowed up. And next thing we know, Kira is in a shuttle with Odo. Um, and Odo's like, "Yeah, no, I, you were unconscious, and uh, so I did whatever I wanted to you, including taking you onto this <laughs> shuttle." That's basically how he says it, including taking you onto this shuttle. And she, he does say, "Well, you didn't protest at the time." That's right. I did all kinds of things. It was nasty. Um, and she's like, "Oh, remember, I'm a shapeshifter. I can do. I can be anything, and I was. I just turned into a liquid, and you floated around in me. It was hot." she asks hey are we going back through the wormhole again we keep losing ships out here this is dumb and he's like now nah, we're going to the omarian nebula it's just a cool place um and who knows what happened to cisco and and crew because like i i don't know i just left them there they were under attack i don't know is that it do they get to the omarian nebula yeah, they find a rogue planet with a shimmering lake out of which people emerge who look like Odo, and they say, welcome home. Thank you for finishing that. I think I might have, like, zoned out again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he sees he, another shapeshifter. Yeah, another shapeshifter walks out of the shapeshifter ocean and is like, hey, I'm Dan. It's Dan, right? The shapeshifter. Anyway. Uh, what was this one? Okay, so this is tough. Here's my take. Okay. You can only call one place home. You can only have one home. Okay. Cisco and Jake have to renounce Earth before DS9 can be their home. Yeah, there's some stuff, some father-son stuff about... Uh, and then when 
when Odo feels like he's lost Deep Space Nine as his home, he suddenly gets a new compulsion to go to the Omarian Nebula, I guess. Here's the thing. Not strongly supported. No. My take. This was... I don't hate the take, though. I gave it five points. It is a good take. This was very much a plot episode, moving the yeah. Dominion plot along. Um, And I kind of felt like it was a continuation of my take from last time about how you shouldn't assume everyone will see things your way. <clears throat> like, how last episode I said Starfleet is, they're just peacefully exploring the Gamma Quadrant and oh, they're peacefully setting up colonies and peacefully sending their ships in and all this stuff. But like, that's not how the Empire building Dominion saw it. Well, in this one, they're like, we on a peaceful mission to contact and reason with the founders. And, like, that's what they say. But, again, if you're the Dominion, what you get is a cloaked ship messing with your relay stations in secret. And, obviously, you open fire on those fuckers. Again, especially if you're the Dominion who's endlessly empire building. So, I know a lot of this is execution, but how could they think this would be a good plan? Uh, Anyway, doing this twice in a row... And having the Starfleet side mess it up twice makes me think the writers are not actually intending this. And are just, (laughs) surprise, bad at writing. Um, So I dropped it from last week's, which was a 7 to a 5. It's a 5 for me. Okay. Like you, it was not strongly supported by what is happening. Yeah, well, Ben gave it a 3 saying something about looking for trouble he's sure there's the take in this episode but he was gonna let us dig for it so we were glad to uh none of us thought that that was the strongest part of this episode no um he says in execution uh dang odo is resigning but kira won't let clayface go good tension building here even if this part of the stakes is low for the universe it's high for the viewer since renee's one of the better actors um big reveal with odo's people at the end etc five for execution What did you think? I also gave it a five. So like I said above, if this is the take the writers are going for, the the one that I said, then they are expecting us to be able to figure out that Starfleet is doing it wrong. And I don't really get a lot of that from this episode. Yeah. I sort of felt it last time with all the stuff that was going on between Quark and Sisko and how happy and jolly everyone felt about just kind of going for a cruise in the Gamma Quadrant, and then all that shit went down. So I, I, I've, they may have meant it last time. I don't necessarily think they did this time. Um, maybe they'll get into it in the next chapter. Uh, real new budget and rip-off Babylon 5 feels throughout this episode. <laughs> new higher collars, new hairstyles, new starships. I mean, only Odo got a higher collar, but that's fine. It's like, uh, great, new budget, everybody. Congratulations. Um, I appreciate continuing to build up this new enemy. TNG was sometimes kind of like a bad wrestling promoter where they'd go, hey, here's the new bad guy. (laughs) And then they'd either completely undercut them, as in the case of the Ferengi, or just relegate them to like occasional appearances seasons apart. So I like that they went right back into the Dominion. Yeah. Um, It makes sense that Starfleet would be scared about this new threat, given what happened in the last episode. So I think all that makes sense. So it was a five for me. Well, I also had it as a five. Uh, Opening the episode with Kira running, like talking about simulated Jem'Hadar attacks, makes it seem like way less than two months have passed. I think that it, it did a bad job of setting 
setting the scene. That's what I right? was saying. Like, is this just what they do every day now? They just sit there on ops and go, hmm, what do we do with the yeah. minion? I also thought, in terms of pacing, uh, this episode was way too fast. I agree. Like, this is the first part of a two-parter. You can take it slow. And also, the first encounter with the Jem'Hadar is just padding. Yeah. You could have thrown all that silent running business into the second encounter, and it would have been equally menacing, really. Like, the fact that they learned something from their first encounter and use it against you the second time, I don't think that's important. No. They already had a huge technological advantage from the last time we saw yeah, them. Yeah, if they had just, like, anti-proton their way through your cloak, like, that would have been enough. Yeah. It really would have. Um, I know there were lots of nice continuity nods in here. With the Karema and uh, the Tula Berry stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Odo's bucket and his 16-hour cycle, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, there's lots of continuity happening in here. Yeah. But uh, I thought it was a, a little cliffhangery and not a great standalone episode. Yeah, we were talking about the pacing. I, it almost feels like this was meant to be a three- or four-parter. You know what I mean? Like they originally had like storyboarded it out to be even more, and then they went ah, oh, and then we're they only... jammed it down into two. Yeah, we're only getting two. It turns out because you're right. It was like they were sort of like zipping around. Opposite of what happened with the Lord of the Rings movies, where it was written as two movies and then they stretched it into three. Three long movies. Long movies. <laughs> yeah. So really, pacing is the biggest problem, and then this one should probably be watched with the with this part two right away. But that's not how they aired, and so that's not how they're in this project. That's right. Uh, cutting over to world building. Mm. There is some, okay. right? So the Defiant and the Borg, Romulans cooperating with Starfleet, the Rogue Planet, the, all the... We see more about how a ship behaves when cloaked than in any other episode except maybe Face of the Enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, the Vorta versus the Jem'Hadar... That founders being not known definitely to exist like that seemed like some misdirect that uh what's her name was saying last week yeah but now the karema guys like i i don't know if they're even real we deal with the vorta right so a lot of stuff in there um i gave it five points for world building overall okay uh ben gave it five as well cloaking federation ships of war odo's homeworld is what he had I had it a little bit more. Let me explain. So, yeah. obviously, all the continuity, like you talked about, not only from the last episode, the Gem Hadar, but from uh, various other parts of the last slow burn season dealing with the Dominion. Collapsing the wormhole is something that they're even discussing, so they'd have to be real worried about the Dominion to think of that, but it's common sense as a strategy. Uh, the Defiant and the Cloaking Device, Classified and Escort, No Family Science Labs, Built to Beat the Borg... Um, I already talked about Starfleet's mission of peace. Uh, Romulan loaned cloaking device, including that operations officer, the chief of Starfleet security herself. The writer was very <laughs> proud of that. Idanian spice pudding. Does Odo need life support? Does he have lungs or blood? Uh, nothing about Odo makes sense. He can become a glass that sits on a tray with other glasses and Rom can carry him over. <laughs> Because they, so, they don't put him in any of those other quarters because their life support isn't working yet, and I don't know what that means in this case. Yeah, they don't give you anything to hang on to with Odo. Yeah. Does he see when he has eyes? 
Yes. How does any of this work? You know what I mean? Does he see like, when he's a chair? How does this work? There's not enough to go on to make any guesses. Um, yet another way to detect cloaked ships. They give off a subspace variance at warp speeds, and it looks like antiprotons are pretty good, too. Uh, Karama and Tulaberry continuity, diamide-laced beridium in the earrings, the Vorta as Dominion administrators, the Omarian Nebula, named after the boy <laughs> from the boy group B2K? Probably. Did I make up B2K? Is that the wrong group? Which one was Omarian in? I don't remember okay. which one he was in. He is, by the way, could have been named after this fucking episode. <laughs> Gal- this is from 1995. Yeah, but that boy group must have been early 2000s. Must have been. Oh, yeah, but it might not be his real name. Oh, also, yeah, that's so. true. Uh, Galaxy-class ships must be weak as hell. The Defiant does a number on the one ship it hits, just blows it to hell with a few phaser bolts. Well, it's got those weird new phasers that it's got. Yeah. Odo and his regeneration cycle continuity. I wasn't sure exactly if they'd told us how many hours he needed before, but now we know it's every 16 hours or else he loses his shit. He becomes a real troll. Okay, so the world building that I find important here is there's a lot of stuff about the Dominion, who now two episodes in a row and all the slow burn, it seems very clear, are going to be a huge part of this. And there's specifically Odo-related world building in a big way. I mean, this has been Odo's quest yeah. to the extent that he's had one for the last two years, and now it is fulfilled. He has come home. And between and... that and Eddington, it, there are real questions about what's next for Odo, right? Yeah. And not only has he come home, but he his home is the Founders, the big... We don't know that. Oh. You know that. That's good. I think I passed out or something. DS9 doesn't know that yet. Well... This is a rogue planet in the Omarian Nebula where his people are. Uh, but there's no... It hasn't yet come out that they're... I'm sorry, guys. They're the founders. You all know the Spoiler alert, they're the founders, and now I just... It's back down to a five. There's a lot there. Oh, no! There's a lot there, though. If it <laughs> if the reveal had included that they were the founders, that's like a big... He, he is a founder, is a big deal for the show. He's a main yes. character on the show. They're the big bads, theoretically, in the show. Um. Anyway, so it's a five for me, too. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, DS9 yeah, episode. That's right. They were, really, they were looking forward to that point. Um, Characterization. <clears throat> uh, ben has a five. Okay. <laughs> Dax's new hair sucks. Not great. Cisco's passion is getting reawakened. Odo has an ego. Cisco's not used to command in any real sense. He's still very intimate with his crew. He doesn't say engage correctly. It was like a question. <laughs> engage? That again, Engage, he gave it five points. Okay, I agree again. It's five. Um, Odo is butthurt about Eddington, and he's kind of a baby about it. He needs to revert every 16 hours. In a way, he's worse off than humans. Like, if we have to push it, we can totally go without sleep for a while. Yeah, not, a couple of days, most of yeah, us. It's not great, but it's doable. Um, Odo feels drawn back to the Omarian Nebula. And his people are there, it turns out. Cisco and Son have begun to think of DS9 as home. Did Cisco really talk to the Nagus, or did he replicate that stick downstairs? I mean, you already heard my con- contribution to that. Uh, Cisco now admits that at one point in his career, he dreamed of being a Starfleet Admiral. Because I think he hates all those boys now. Um... Cisco seems to appreciate the situation they're in because he leaves behind O'Brien and Dax on that relay without much argument. So he doesn't, like, 
do a Picard and the Hathaway. He's just like, yeah, no, they're going to have to figure it out themselves. Um, Kira sucks at humoring people. That story she gives Odo about the provisional government asking for his presence on their mission is kind of dumb, but it's delivered so badly that nobody could believe it. Yeah, it's impossible and, uh, to fool and they, even um, weird alien Odo. They 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 want you to come along because they love you so much. They think you're amazing, Odo. They said you were king of this place. They said you could be king if you like, if you if you come on the mission, though. Um, She does go to Cisco for her friend Odo to ask what the hell Starfleet's doing. So that was nice of her. More Curzon the asshole wisdom. This time it was never volunteer for anything. Because he's a great guy. Bashir does doctoring the way Rivers Cuomo writes songs by database entirely. <laughs> Why does he complain so much about the medical database not being complete? Does he not know what he's doing? Yeah. Do doctors in real life just stand looking at a database all day? Um, like, I feel like oh. a surgeon is in there, like, doing surgery. Well, I mean, you know, like, a surgeon reads up on a surgery before they do it. Oh, and also, I I do think that doctors most of the time see the same five things, so they get real used to that, but they probably do have to research I'm just saying, if all they're doing is looking at databases, why in medical school do they have to do the same procedure like a thousand times before they're qualified on it? Like, I I don't know. I feel like they know what they're doing, but... I don't know any medical doctors. He's just just like, but my database, though! (laughs) How am I going to write the next Weezer song? Um, He, uh... He's insistent that they stay and try to rescue O'Brien and Dax, uh, which makes sense because that's his crew. That's his people. He loves O'Brien and Dax. That's true. Uh, Yeah, it was a five for me. Uh, I'm only a four on this one. I I wasn't sure that Odo's emotional reactions in this episode were well-earned. We haven't seen him act this way since he had that weird virus, basically. Yeah, he was being a real fucking turd. The whole time. Also, I didn't love more Cisco insensitivity towards Ferengi. Like, again, there is the question of whether he faked the Negus' staff or whatever. But calling Quark back to make him kiss the staff, because that's what Ferengis do, Mm -hmm. is like if he did a sarcastic bow to a Japanese person (laughs) to me. It was a lot like that. (laughs) Or just went... (laughs) Under his breath or something. Did a slanty eye thing or something. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't great. Uh, Dax has bigger hair now, I wrote, under characterization. Frontier Medicine Bashir is way too pissy about the sick bay on the Defiant. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you remember how he was going to come out here and do frontier medicine? Yeah, where, where the real medicine is done. Where the heroes are made. And now he's like, the la- the what they call sick bay on this ship, and there's no med. I transferred as much of my databases as I could, et cetera, et cetera. Who are you, buddy? Like, yeah. what happened to Frontier Bashir? He changed quickly. So I think a couple of, couple of lapses in characterization. I thought it was the weak part of this episode. Also, I. I don't know how we can believe that Cisco was just going to leave O'Brien and Dax behind, based on everything we know about Cisco to this point. I mean, they didn't leave Dax behind uh, when the third chap collapsed or whatever. That's right. He wasn't going to leave her in that cave, yeah. old man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he tried so many times to pull Cal Hudson's ass out of the fire. Oh, I know. But is he just really good? He was afraid he was going to get in a lot of trouble for losing this Romulan cloaking device. Something like that, right? <laughs> He's like, oh boy. 
Like, oh, they're, they're never going to give another black man a ship. They made I... me leave my ID. Like, <laughs> it's not good. This is going to, I need it. They said, why would we give you this prototype ship, Commander Cisco? Why would we send you, of all people, <laughs> With through your the wormhole? No to make Starship contact? Command experience of any kind. Our notes on you say you hate this job and you don't want it. <laughs> why didn't uh, we send. No, we never sent. Captain send. Picard wrote a letter to us about you. That never happens. That dude does not check in. I know. I know that we should have sent an admiral to that station long before now, but like, especially now. Especially yeah. now, we should have sent an admiral there. And you, so, and you're volunteering. Oh, not only do you want the ship, but you want your dumb crew on it, including Major Kira, who's not Starfleet. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, I'm putting my I'm putting my ass on the line for you, Cisco, for whatever reason. <laughs> but so you leave the, bring me back this ship. You, Do not get this ship blown up. You leave your ID, please. <laughs> You'll get it back when yeah. we get it back. Like I, I anyway. Yeah. Again, characterization was the weak point for me, but I only gave it a four. I didn't think it was like a disaster. Well, then, what about the quick ones? Uh, new com badges. I don't think we mentioned those. I totally forgot, but it was part of the new budget. Yep. Uh, Cisco is not management material. He is an individual contributor. <laughs> it is. That was it's true. Uh, that was old Curzon Dax's appraisal of him. Yep. And it seems like it maybe was true. Dax delivered it in a nicer way, but that is what she was saying for sure. You mentioned that to rule is Seska. Odo practically becomes jonathan archer in this one huh mm-hmm. real quivering baby yeah you're gonna take my authority away just like you did to my dad basically you're the vulcan <laughs> that's right uh and uh i don't love that odo has like a weird racial memory that leads him to the omarian nebula but as we know it is star trek fact well, it was in the Halloween episode. Facial yes. memory was a key part of that episode. I gave best actor to Cisco and worst actor to Tarul. Ouch, suck it, Fresca. I didn't think she was doing anything. I didn't understand her character. I'm not surprised they didn't bring her back. Well, I, I have, like her much better as Cisco. I have notes about her in the quick hitters. I'll tell you what she was up to. Let's get him. Fresca as the Romulan commander monitoring the cloaking device and one who isn't here to make friends, she said it aloud. <laughs> yeah, she's on a reality show. I get it. Um, I'll just skip ahead to the other part about her then. The Romulan chick is watching Cisco, Bashir, etc. go hand-to-hand on the bridge and she's like, fuck that, I have a disruptor and just starts blasting dudes with the disruptor. <laughs> yep. They must seem like Klingons to her, the way they were inviting that hand-to-hand combat. I mean, kind of, right? She'll uh, she'll have a lot to report about Starfleet when she gets back. She thinks humans and Klingons are a waste of skin, according to Worf. That's right. Uh, let's see. Cisco carries fine ancient African art loose in a crate. <laughs> yeah, where, not well packed! Where nothing will happen to it, I'm sure. Uh... By the way, that crate contains the best collection of African art. <laughs> What happened to all of the African art that exists on Earth? Something. Is it just not collected somewhere? Is it scattered? Or has it been destroyed? Something bad happens in World War Three. World War Three particularly affected collections of African art. Yep. Quark is wearing a sick leprechaun jacket that's like stained glass pattern that I like a lot. Yeah, better than his clothes from last week for sure. Yeah. Well, his, yeah, his vacation clothes were offensive. Um... 
You know, I doubt we'll ever be treated to so loving a shot of the Defiant backing out of its parking spot ever again. Nah, that's two. I mean, well, it would be the exact same one if it was. That was a straight episode one of the Defiant. Check this out as it slowly backs out. And by the way, that's the reason the Defiant has a weird nose, right? So it can dock at DS9? So it can dock at DS9? That doesn't make any sense. Did they know about DS9 when the Borg threat was being considered? In the last two months, they put that stupid nose on the front. (laughs) That's dumb. Um, Putting Odo in Quark's quarters was like a fuck you to Odo, right? And apparently Bashir did that himself. Like, he couldn't put his bucket in Bashir's quarters? Or Kira's? Or a uh, corridor? Or, or anywhere? <laughs> they had to go into Quark's quarters? Like, Odo came aboard with a bucket. Bashir should have gone, oh, right, that's all you need. Yeah, you could just go anywhere, I guess. You just need that bucket and, like, a quiet space. I, we could just give you an uh, office somewhere, I guess. Just feel free to look around. Like, go anywhere you want. You don't want. need a bed or a toilet or nothing. Uh, yeah, to put him in Quark's quarters is an obvious fuck you. Um. Oh, so another thing about Romulan Seska. Romulan Seska's answer to whether anti-proton beams would uh, beat their cloak, her, which was "I'm not sure," felt like a yes to me. Yeah, it she's a like, kind of. I'm not sure. Probably. I think it seemed like this moment was the first time she realized how hard not giving away information was going to be <laughs> yeah. on this mission. She's like, "Yes, but I'm not allowed to say yes." Like, uh, uh, this is like uh this is like me when i'm on a partner call and i can't tell them that the thing is not we know it's already not going to work or something you know like (laughs) you gotta you gotta talk about it a different way yeah um let's see uh what else did uh did kira not object to when she was unconscious as i mentioned earlier because of the way he said it it was some stuff luckily He's got that single-minded intensity about getting to that nebula. That's true. Maybe she was safe. Anyway, I had lots of notes. Also, this dude can become water in her shower whenever he wants. Oh, I'm sure he's done it. And we know he's not big on privacy. He has cameras all over the station watching Quark. Yeah. He's probably been a real creep all along. No wonder she's so nice to him. Like, she's probably afraid to, like, spurn his weirdness. Um, I had lots of notes about the Romulan, so there you go. That's all I had. We did it? We did it. We have the extremely rare situation of a tie. Okay. But that's at the top. Uh, In fifth place this week with 23 points, Voyager with false profits. You know, that's not super low for last place. Uh, It's not. For instance... Uh, two weeks ago when they were last place they had 22 points last week when they were in last place last week when they were last place they had 13 13 points uh three weeks ago they were just saved from last place by a terrible terrible episode of enterprise but they still had 17 points so 23 is not yeah, that it's... bad i gave it an 11 you gave it a 12 those are both bad scores yeah we were kind of on the same page about that one but they're just bad yeah it was a uh, your just... you, you rated it last i had it as second last yeah just barely better than that with 25 points tos a piece of the action i found it very hard to watch Oh, it was painful. It was, it, boy, boy, it's hard to hard to say which was my least favorite episode. It was both were bad and not in a fun way. The Ferengi or gangsters, very tough, right? That's a hard one. 
Neelix as a Ferengi. In third place this week with 37 points. Only two points out of the lead, by the way. Okay. Uh, Enterprise with the Breach. Okay. So 37 is pretty good showing. As it happens, the two episodes that tied in score for first place uh, scored under 40, so yeah, good but not great. Right. And, of course, that is uh, DS9 with The Search Part 1 and TNG with Peak Performance. All you have to do is... We've had go, one other tie. Go to Landrew and look at what we scored it. You'll see that how insanely close to even our scores were across the board on this one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had one other tie before. We reached out for tie resolution rules. Mm. And the rule was... Vice President uh, ben? Basically, Ben's the tiebreaker. We did get Ben's notes in time to discuss... Uh, his TNG and his DS9 scores. Mm-hmm. So uh, TNG was his pick of the week. He was 23 versus 18. So the tiebreaker goes to TNG. Okay. They pick up their 15th win. That's close. And uh, that, uh, that puts them, I mean, they were in second place, um, but now there's just one win separating them from the original series. Yeah. In terms of points, they are now, uh, almost 70 points ahead of the original series. Point and so a half although per... they haven't been getting the wins, they have been outscoring them week over week. Yeah, point and a half per episode ahead now. And uh, they are as far ahead of the original series as the original series is of Deep Space Nine now. Yeah. So uh, the order is uh, TOS with 16 wins, TNG with 15, DS9 10, Enterprise 3, Voyager 2. Next week, unlikely to be the week that TNG gets its 16th win to tie, however. <laughs> we are watching The Immunity Syndrome. Do you remember which one episode that is? I remember. I think there's a big space amoeba or something. Oh, one of those. Something like that. Let me see. Hold on. I want to look it up real quick. Here. Maybe the Enterprise does a fantastic voyage inside a huge space amoeba, but the amoeba is really big inside of Enterprise getting really small, something like that. Surprise, surprise. The Ener- Enterprise encounters an energy-draining space-dwelling organism. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. TNG, we are watching Shades of Grey, a clip show. <sighs> a straight-up clip show. Yes, it is. That cannot score well, but we will see. Good news for DS9. <laughs> Next week, The Search Part 2. Right. Maybe we'll figure out what's going on on that um, ocean full of changelings. It's gotta love having Shades of Grey as competition. Mm. Um, Voyager will be watching Remember. Uh, but that's a Balana one. Balana's in a... It's kind of like the inner light, but no one liked it. Oh, it's like, okay. it's like inner the inner light. light, but no one submitted it for an Emmy or whatever. Yeah, it's just ba- the bad inner light. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool. Um, and for Enterprise, maybe they're going to have a chance to steal one. Cogenitor. Um, uh, this is the one with Andreas Katsoulis. Oh my God, it's got Katsoulis? Yeah. I don't oh, really shit. remember the plot of the episode. I just remember Katsoulis. You may know him as Tomalock. Ambassador Tomalock? <laughs> he was only an ambassador <laughs> in a Romulan holiday. Yeah. Holiday, just like this one. Um, uh, I remember him mainly as Jakar. Sure. Or as Marjan still calls him, Gakar. No. She did it once by accident. She called him Gakar. <laughs> this is like the, her tea pole. Yeah, she's like, well, how the hell am I supposed to know some nonsense alien name? Which is fair, but Gakar. Oh, it is fair. Gakar. 
He's in the first episode of Babylon 5 mm-hmm. and basically every oh, other they one. They say it a lot. They say his name. They say Jakar a lot. <laughs> yeah. Londo says Jakar many times. Jakar! Something like that. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. You do pretty good. A non-heavy hey. cruiser! <laughs> That's what we're watching next week. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, well, yeah, in two weeks, next week is a mailbag. Um, yeah, next week is a mailbag. Please send us mail. That's uh, at Brother Date on the Twitter. Um, and then you can go to BrotherDate.com to get all the episodes and whatever special projects we're working on. And I have reason to believe we're getting a book report next week. Oh, yeah. Book reports have been uh, submitted. So yeah. it should be good. Uh, and, yeah, and then iTunes. Leave us like a kick-ass review. Tell everyone that this is a Star Trek podcast or whatever. Whatever you think will bring the people in. Hey, do we have any new listeners? Uh, oh, boy. I'm not sure we have any new listeners okay. this week. Sometimes you know if there's a new listener. I, I have never heard of anybody. We have, a, we have a new contributor for next week. Oh, that's fun. Okay. That works then. Yeah. All right. So until next week, everybody. Bye-bye. You are not wrong, and get out of my notes. Get out. <laughs> Just get out of there. Get the fuck out. Get out! So I, I see that you're in them right now. I can see it on Google. Get out. <laughs>